It starts. Hey, this is Eric Ambler, and this is Cam Seamer, and you're listening to What Were We Watching, a podcast where we take a look back at the pop culture of our youth, analyze its appeal to us as kids and as adults. It's not about good or bad, it's about then and now. And it's all in order to answer the question, What were we watching? What a wonderful phrase. What were we watching? Ain't no passing craze. It means old movies from our younger days. So sanction, please, our buffoonery. <laughs> what were we watching? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Bows, bows. <laughs> Welcome to what we were watching. It's episode 150, the big Whoa. 150. We did it, Cam. We did it. And this is our five-year anniversary of this podcast. That's right. Dropping on the day of. That's right. Five whole goddamn years <laughs> of staring at you from across a table. That's crazy. And sometimes next to you on a couch <laughs> in the early days. That is crazy. Five years. Yeah, that has gone by fast. <sighs> Way too fast. <laughs> We're, it's gone by so, so fast that, you know, we could consider things that we watched not too <laughs> long before we started podcasting as subjects for this podcast. It's like we just walked over a log and aged in a montage. Oh my god, we sure did. <laughs> we just skipped over those wastrel years. Yeah. Got to the important part. Yeah. We're always fast forwarding to the important parts. <laughs> and because it's episode 150 and it's the 5th anniversary, we have something very special to share with all of you, a movie that's very close to both our hearts. The Lion King. Ooh, Cam. It you is ready? time. <laughs> Uh, I'm ready. Is, are you ready? I'm so ready. This is, full disclosure, my favorite animated film. A my whole favorite, I, favorite Disney movie, favorite animated. So you're film. going for it's, favorite animated film. Is it your favorite film? No, period. No. Okay. But it's seminal. It's it's up there. It's probably in my top ten. Yeah. Of all time, I could probably. see that. Like if I'm. If I'm like spreading the love across a lot of different genres. If you're trying to sound interesting on social media. <laughs> you put the that. foreign <laughs> film in there. You put the animated <laughs> film in there. And then your number one is still Forrest Gump. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is a classic. A classic uh, re- as regarded by all. I think around the world mm-hmm. uh, and especially in the United States. Especially people our age. Yes, especially our generation. <laughs> but... I think it has, uh, you know, lasting name recognition mm-hmm. and value with a lot of people, people of all ages. Yeah. They know what The Lion King is. And now a new generation, also this podcast dropping on the day that it comes out early on Thursday. Yeah, there's a lot of just things coming together for this episode. Well, there's a lot of excitement, yeah, because we're recording this before the live, in air quotes, live action remake <laughs> is coming out. There's been a lot of talk about whether or not that that's technically still an animated film. Yeah. If there are no actually live action humans in it. 
Or even live action backgrounds. That's true. <laughs> it's entirely digital. <laughs> no one knows what it is. It's a new frontier. <laughs> Much and and just, you know, maybe it will be a trailblazer like the original, The Lion King, yeah. the animated version. I so, have high hopes. I do too. I, I hope it's good. But we can spend our time talking about something that we know is good. <laughs> It will not disappoint. It never does. And that's The Lion King 94, in fact, released on June the 24th of 1994. So do you recall the first time that you saw this film? I, I feel like I've just seen it so many times. I'm pretty sure I saw I I actually must have seen it in theaters. I don't remember that specifically, but I think I had to have because I lived in one house when it came out. And then when it came out on VHS, we had moved and I had lived in a different house. But I definitely had Lion King sheets in that first house. So I had to have seen it in theaters. Those were the days, right? Yeah. Lion King sheets. Good. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, even our bedding had, <laughs> had their better properties back then. I, I say this because I just spent the weekend at an Airbnb um, <laughs> and slept in, in a child's bunk bed uh, where the bedspread was themed to the secret life of pets. What? I know. <laughs> I was no way. Why? Didn't even know this product existed wow. there you go i did not have lion king sheets sadly but i did see this film probably for the first time on vhs we had the clamshell it was in someone's easter basket probably mm. my sister's I'm being really psyched both of us being really psyched to get it which makes me think i may have seen the theater but i feel like i would remember that much more strongly mm-hmm. especially given the intensity of several scenes in this movie yeah fairly confident i watched it first on that vhs copy and it would have been Eight years old? Almost eight years old. Seven going on eight. Mm-hmm. So, Cam, now that we've established a little foundation here, let's remind people of what happens in The Lion King and do a little Pride Rock recap. We open in the Pride Lands of Africa, where all the animals make a trek to Pride Rock, home of the lions, to celebrate the circle of life, as King Mufasa and his queen Sarabi welcome a new baby lion cub, Simba. The animals bow before their new future king. Mufasa introduces young Simba to the kingdom that he will one day inherit, and talks about how the king's role is to help maintain the order of things in the circle of life, in other words, being the apex predator. Simba gets very excited and just can't wait to be king. Meanwhile, Mufasa's evil brother Scar covets the throne and plots to dispatch both Simba and Mufasa so he can claim it. First, he convinces Simba to venture into a dangerous off-limits elephant graveyard. Simba goes with his friend Nala, and they are threatened by a group of hyenas working for Scar. But Mufasa arrives to scare the hyenas away and scold Simba for disobeying his rule to never venture into the Shadowlands. Scar then discusses with his hyenas uh, his plan to kill Mufasa, telling them to be prepared for the new regime. He arranges for Simba to be caught in a stampede of wildebeests started by the hyenas and warns Mufasa that Simba's trapped. Mufasa rushes there to get Simba to safety, but ends up hanging off a cliff only for Scar to push him off into the stampede, falling to his death. Simba mourns his father and Scar convinces him that it was his fault and that he should run away and never return sending the hyenas after him to kill him. Simba gets away, though, and collapses in the desert, only to be found by Timon and Pumbaa, a meerkat and warthog, who take him in 
and show him their carefree way of life, teaching him how to say Hakuna Matata, basically have no worries. And he grows up with them in an idyllic oasis, eating an endless supply of insects and living a life of leisure. Meanwhile, Scar lets the hyenas take over Pride Rock, depleting it of all its resources and leaving it a depressing, barren wasteland. One day, while out hunting for food, Nala encounters Timon and Pumbaa and tries to eat them, but Simba intervenes and reunites with his long-lost friend, who believed him to have been dead all these years. Sparks fly between the two, and Timon asks Pumbaa, can you feel the love tonight? That's a good question. <laughs> Fearing that they're about to lose their friend to this budding romance. Nala tries to convince Simba to come back to Pride Rock, but he refuses, feeling guilty about Mufasa's death, and runs away. He encounters Rafiki, the wise old baboon shaman, who tries to teach him that Mufasa's spirit lives on in him, and he then sees a vision of Mufasa in the sky, who tells him to remember who he is and to take his rightful place as king. Simba runs back to Pride Rock, to confront Scar. They fight, lightning strikes, setting the surrounding bushes on fire. About to kill Simba, Scar admits to murdering Mufasa, and Simba turns the tables, forcing him to confess to the rest of the lions and exiling him from Pride Rock. He tries to blame the hyenas, who overhear him and gang up to kill him, and it starts to rain, extinguishing the fire and allowing life to return to Pride Rock. Simba takes his place as king, with Nala as his queen, and it ends the way it begins, with the birth of a new baby lion cub presented to the animal kingdom. Circle of life. The end. It's almost like a shape. A shape that starts and ends at the same point. <laughs> like uh, an oval or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some Something oblong, perhaps. Well, that was a great recap. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Calling out all those wonderful songs, <laughs> which we'll talk about. I had to. Is that a good place to start, the soundtrack of this movie? Or Sure, yeah. Yeah, definitely a cassette tape that I owned and just wore out. I loved every single song. Did you have any favorites? Um, I was a big Hakuna Matata fan. Yeah. Yeah. We even learned it in Spanish when I was in oh, really? ninth grade, uh, which was a fun way to learn that language, <laughs> even though it's completely pointless to like, know how the words to that song go. And I have a lot of good memories of Can You Feel the Love Tonight because my sister Amy, friend of the pod, had the sheet music, piano sheet music for that Elton John version. Mm, okay. So it was like the pop version. Yeah. And I have vivid memories because she would play it a lot, but also uh, the cover for that sheet music, the cover art is like way better than the VHS even. <laughs> so the VHS is iconic, that scene from the beginning of holding up the baby cub, mm-hmm. but the sheet music has... It's uh, Simba standing on Pride Rock, you know, taking his place as king with all the animals. And then that heavenly image of Mufasa in the mm. clouds in the sky, <laughs> nice. to me, is a more representative for the film as yeah. a whole. Yeah. So that is something I'll never forget. Yeah. And awesome. yeah, yeah. And just hearing that on the piano, like every day <laughs> for several months. <laughs> yeah. I think my favorite as a kid was Just Can't Wait to Be King. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just so much fun. And I think as a as a youth, I can, you know... I could relate to Simba's energy and just like wanting to grow up and wanting to do whatever you want. Just yeah, it's like, like it's kind of bratty, but it's still yeah. appealing. Yeah, I, and it's the most colorful part of the movie. You know, the whole background changes; it just like pops into this kind of vibrant, like African patterns, and it's just really visually striking. That's when you see all the animals too, which mm-hmm. I was big on at that age. Yeah, I remember going to see this one. There's like this kind of I don't know. 
days before the internet streaming video, uh, there used to be this thing called the Jason Project. I don't know if you remember this or mm-hmm. if this was just in certain parts of the country, but you would go to some auditorium that would be sponsoring uh, this show, quote unquote show, because it was actual scientists like somewhere in the world doing research and they'd have a remote video link and like talk to you mm-hmm. and like you could go and ask questions. And it was usually at some kind of college or educational institution. Mm-hmm. And I remember going one time when they're in the rainforest and like sitting and waiting while they talked about plants and like the, <laughs> the like remote cameras is trained on like the jungle and nothing's happening. And I'm <laughs> asking my mom, where are the animals? Where are they? She's just like, we can't just make them appear. Cause I was trained by movies like the lion King to expect all the animals to be hanging out with each other, just popping out. No, they, they yeah, addressing they, the camera. They, they create like living totem poles where they just <laughs> stack up on top of each other. Yeah. And sing songs. Yes. <laughs> where they just walk around together. Like that opening is also so iconic yeah. for circle of life. Yeah. Yeah. They're, it's priming it's a, you. Yeah. It's like a Mecca pride rock all together. It's like they, the animals all put aside their differences and come to this meeting spot. I'll have more to say about that. <laughs> uh, but back to Hakuna Matata, mm. I was related to Timon and Pumbaa as a kid because mm-hmm. they're the, the silly part of the movie. They're the part that appeals most to children. Yeah. And, and they're great. They're so hilarious. Oh, yeah. But I think what I liked the most, you know, even more than that, was um, them singing a snippet of The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Oh, yeah. It's so another good. very kid-friendly <laughs> song. And yeah. yeah. Uh, especially Timon's like dance moves during that. <laughs> Seemed like the coolest dude ever. <laughs> I love when he cuts himself off when he notices Pumbaa's gone. He's yeah. like, about Pumbaa? <laughs> <laughs> He's even vamping, like, you know, yeah. I can't hear you, buddy. Back me up. Yeah. <laughs> I learned how to perform. Mm-hmm. Timon, one of my first uh, inspirations. Were you, did you watch the Timon and Pumbaa show? No, I was aware of it, but mm-hmm. I was not a watcher of cartoons. It probably it might have been like only on the Disney Channel at the time. I think you're right. Which we did not yet at yeah, my home. I feel like I got that channel later in life and i think maybe my sister was you know watching tv when it was still airing so i caught some of it but was that the only tv show in our in our era in our time yeah because yeah. i know there's something newer. yeah there's the newer one the lion guard which blew my mind yeah. when i heard about it <laughs> i know so there was the sequel Lanking 2 which which is about simba's daughter but i guess the lion guard is a he has another son like a younger son who like isn't in line to be the king because I think maybe she's in line to be the queen or something. Okay. So, so the son is like charged with being part of the lion guard, which is like the elite team that guards the queen or, or guards the pride. I don't okay, know. Some kind of military thing. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> um, yeah. I've never, kids. I've never caught it or anything, but for the, they're keeping it alive. The cub, the cub who's not going to be the main event. Yeah. <laughs> But there was no okay. So there's a Timon and Pumbaa show, but there's no like Aladdin style, like no, Adventures not of just Simba. Like, no, no. Those well, there that was those are big enough for movies, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sequels. In fact, I don't even know if Simba ever appeared in the show. I can't remember. They're holding that back. Yeah, for like a big sweeps episode. I feel like the Timon and Pumbaa show definitely like took them out of just Africa. Like it felt a little more traditional cartoon, like. I feel like one, I want to say they like went into the real world sometimes and like <laughs> they'd like go to the mall and stuff. This, and, like, this sounds <laughs> what? This sounds like someone got high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. 
that almost seems like bumpers on on some other kind of show mm-hmm. or like you know little movie theater promos yeah like timon and pumbaa eating popcorn yeah. wearing 3d glasses and telling us not to talk on our phones in the theater <laughs> well it's funny that you say that because i in in my preparation for this episode i did catch the lion king one and a half one of the other animated sequels that talks about what they were up to during the events of the lion king you know what when they're not on screen yeah it's pretty good actually it's actually maybe the best director video Disney sequel that I've seen. Um, but there's definitely a, like a meta kind of, I don't know if it's a, I think it bookends the, the movie where they're like sitting in a theater watching the movie that we're watching, you know, like fast forwarding it and stuff. <laughs> oh, like, a, like the Muppet movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're fast forwarding it even. Or they're like, they're like they get to it at the it. end and then they, they rewind it because someone okay. wants to watch it again. Or I something. see. Yeah. And throw little space balls in there too. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, they definitely kind of like were a little looser with Timon and Pumbaa, a little more meta and pop culture savvy. Yeah, that that was their role for a long time in the Disney universe. Yeah. I feel like that has been taken over by I'm trying to think of the characters that would be kind of for the meta, for the yeah. for the kids. <laughs> These days, I don't know. Uh maybe Wreck It Ralph is kinda of like oh, that. Yeah. And all his friends. I feel like there's always one in every Disney movie. Like the genie. Well, there's always, there's always yeah. someone that's like a little like more aware of of the audience and kind of a little more winky. I think I think this is the point I was going to make. Like, there's that's the genie effect, really, is yeah. what I'm calling it. Yeah, uh, he started that. Yeah, yeah. Like that character kind of showed them how yeah. good it would or good it would be to put like this kind of pop culture savvy right. characters in, or like you know get that little burst of meta ness. Because if you think about pre Aladdin, the comic relief characters, someone like Sebastian, yeah. In the Little Mermaid, or like Lumiere and Cogsworth and Beauty and the Beast, yeah. they're not. They're still not like of our world, <laughs> they're, right? Right. They're just funny in the context of the movie. Right. Um, but, but I think of like Mushu later. Oh yeah, he seems a little. Well, more he's just Eddie Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they knew what they were doing. That w- that was definitely repl- trying to replicate Rob Williams as genie. Yeah. Uh, it's a little more subtle in this, but I, you know, when Zazu sings, it's a small world. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, when Timon does the hula, like, it's like, what should we, what do you want us to do? Like, put on Justin a Dragon skirt? Justin Dragon do the hula? And they do. <laughs> Which is an awesome beat. Yeah. <laughs> At a point when the movie's getting, like, really intense and dark. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that so much as a kid. Yeah. That's, that song, too. Like, that, the, like, it's so quick. It's perfect. Like, it's like yeah. 15 seconds, maybe. And Nathan Lane is so goddamn talented. He really is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then one that I didn't really catch on to until later maybe even now is uh timo or pumbas they call me mr pig mm, oh, is reference yeah. to sydney poitier <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> it's homage to in the heat of the night uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> which is always a good reference to pull out i feel like there are more people who know that reference than have actually seen the film the film that it's based on now this is, yeah everyone knows they call me mr tibbs i have to admit um one thing i didn't understand as a kid it was always a big mystery was during hakuna matata when Pumbaa's like, every time that I, and then Timon's like, Pumbaa, not in front of the kids. Oh yeah. <laughs> but he's gonna, he's about to rhyme because he just said, when I got downhearted, every time that I farted. <laughs> yes. But I, but I was always like, oh, what does he, what did he do? <laughs> I knew it was naughty and I knew it was like, oh, I was always confused. Like my seven, <laughs> seven year old brain yeah. was not like quick enough yet to like rhyme yeah like, I, st- get the rhyme. I still kind of have a hard time understanding what pumbaa's saying in that song when he's singing because i feel like his voice is just so deep and 
it's hard to hear him kind of enunciate. Yeah. And it goes in that gospel style and it's yeah. just like very, very <laughs> emotional. Yeah. Yeah. That, I don't know. I, that was just a persistent thing for me. I think catching onto that kind of humor yeah. it was, took me a while. I, I'm thinking of another Weird Al song where like I was listening to it and my mom was kind of listening in and the lyric is something like, you don't have an ounce of class. You're just one big pain in the neck. And like my mom like made a face when like she, like a sigh of relief. She like thought she knew it was coming. And I'm like, why are you acting like that? And I didn't realize that's the joke. (laughs) So I also wanted to talk about the infamous urban legend that's in this Uh, movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? About the the, uh, the sex? Yes. So I know the moment. There's a moment where Simba is depressed. It's the dark night of the soul moment. Mm -hmm. Screenwriting structure. Uh, And he collapses on, on the edge of a cliff. And there's dust that swirls out. And then the next shot like wind carries the dust and there's like feathers and stuff in it. Right. And I don't know if it's, or leaves and stuff. And I don't know if it's supposed to be in the dust or in the leaves or feathers. Uh, it's in the dust. Cause it it's blows out across the, like the night yeah. sky. Yeah. And it, it, I remember just hearing about like, Oh, you can totally see the word sex right in the lion King. It spells it out in the dust. And then I heard that like, it actually says SFX. Yeah. I've never seen any of it. <laughs> oh man, I can totally see it. <laughs> really? I can, and I can totally see why you would confuse it for sex. Yeah. Which they really should have thought of. Right. <laughs> but when the animators, you know, fessed up to like, yeah, we thought it'd be a funny Easter egg. It, cause it's, it's weird cause it's sort of in, it's almost like in the negative space. Yeah. But there are eagle eyed people out there. <laughs> That's not even the craziest one. I don't even know if we talked about it during the Aladdin episode about like, oh, the beat when the genie turns into the bee. We didn't talk about it. <laughs> no. It's good to bring it up now, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. The genie turns into the bee, and like supposedly you can hear like as he's whispering into Aladdin's ear, he tells him something like like good teenagers take their clothes off or something like that. I thought it was just like take off your clothes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um yeah, no- take off your nothing clothes. beats the penis on <laughs> Nothing beats that penis. On the little used? mermaid clamshell. <laughs> that's true. And also the priest Which that- is totally there. I, just, I know. Well, they they had to they change had to the cover, yeah. yeah. But there's also in that movie the priest's uh, erection. Do you right. know about that? Yes. Yes. Which I caught that. Yeah, it's actually. <laughs> I some... investigated all of these like okay. in high school. Of course, I yes. Them. I was like, wait a minute. Dark Side of Disney. <laughs> yeah. Those YouTube um, videos with ominous music. Little Mermaid definitely has some naughty things. <laughs> I don't know about these these other ones. I'm like, I'm not sure. They. They seem like they could be innocent, but what more is in the Little Mermaid besides the? Well, just those two. Those the, two are enough. The dick cover. <laughs> well, I don't think the priest thing is actually real. Like, I don't think he's actually getting a boner. I, I Maybe buy it's just the like a strange fold. Yeah, or yeah. like a movement. I buy. I kind of buy that explanation. Mm. That just seems like way too blatant <laughs> to like, try and sneak through. Yeah, I think about how long it takes to create, you know, a single scene. Yeah. Frame by frame, hand-drawn animation, like people who have to be looking at that right. over and over and over <laughs> again. I think someone would say something. <laughs> hey, it looks like a boner. <laughs> um, and I did not know anyone in this movie except for Jonathan Taylor Thomas, which was like the reason why I was interested in it mm. as a home improvement fan. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's JTT. Oh, totally. He's, he's like the quintessential 90s kid, I feel like. And not Macaulay. Uh, yeah. Not Devin Sawa, the golden boy, <laughs> favorite of the pod. I don't know. I might. There's a lot of competition for I that. I might go JTT. Yeah. 
personally. I, I, I just think his body of work is too it's small, but small. it's but it's significant. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's a Kubrick, you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I feel like he made he made waves with the ladies more than the other two. Yeah. But I just think okay, so like Macaulay Culkin for just being active for maybe just half the decade mm-hmm. left such a huge impact. Like he's the yeah. the child star that everyone would be compared to for like another 10 years. That's true. He really set the standard. Changed probably. the game. Yeah. But I definitely uh I definitely gave like my haircutters <laughs> pictures of JTT cuz I just, <laughs> just do this. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I was never. A, I really wish I could have done that at some point in my life. But I was just never in that face, of like bringing a photo and be like, "I want this." It, it never quite worked of course out that not. way. Of course not. It's really hard to do. Yeah. To just for a hairstylist, just to yeah. rub, is like that's not how it works. <laughs> but it's good inspiration. Yeah, and he is so good in this. Actually, like great child voice acting. Especially the Mufasa scene. Yeah, it's pretty good. For something that could just be kind of like a stunt, it's really yeah. pretty pretty good. Yeah. Jerks my tears. Okay, let's this is a lot a lot of penis talk already in this podcast. Talk about tear ducks. Oh <laughs> yeah, I I I really am more impressed though by the child singing voice of Simba. Mm, yeah. That kid. Holy crap. Oh yeah. And Nala. Yeah. They're both really good. Yeah. Do you know if the speaking voice for Nala is the same as the singing voice? I've always I'm not sure. wondered that, even though that's easy to look up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but it, it seems like it could be. It's more likely mm-hmm. because JTT is obviously star casting, and yeah, he's not expected to sing. Right. But you know who does sing is Jeremy Irons, <laughs> and that was a voice that I, you know, associated solely with this film for many many years because i was definitely not seeing anything with jeremy irons in it yeah. until i turned you know 16 or something yeah that oh. good old dungeons and dragons <laughs> aragon <laughs> he's in that i think so he's basically doing the same thing as he did yeah. in dungeons and dragons i'm pretty sure oh man i could be wrong it but... sounds right <laughs> and then james earl jones i oh, I, yeah. I that was the, the second person that i realized because then i got into star wars mm. a couple years after the lion king like oh that's Darth vader's voice i think i would have known that because of the sandlot and fields of dreams which oh, i which yeah. i would have seen before this i mean i already knew about the sandlot but i still didn't connect those dots yeah he's um, mufasa he doesn't look like james earl jones <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I was just obsessed with this movie i this is, there are very few movies that I've ever watched twice in one day. <laughs> oh my. I could probably count on one hand those movies. This is one of them. This, like, when I got this on VHS, for a time, it was like every day after school. I watched it that much. Whoa, cool. <laughs> and it's probably like a week maybe or not that long, but I feel like there was definitely just like a heightened like enthusiasm for this movie. When I finally had it in my hands, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember doing that as a child. I've definitely done it in my adult life. And the last movie <laughs> I saw twice in one day, you're going to laugh, is Batman v Superman. <laughs> Only Why because... Why you do that to Okay, <laughs> I, I'm not proud, but it's because <laughs> I thought... I, I wanted to... I had never seen it. I got the DVD, and I wanted to see the extended version. Oh, okay. And I put it in, and I realized... Oh shit, it was on the other side. It was like one of those double sided discs. Yeah. I had the wrong side in. (laughs) 
So I'm like, oh, this is ending in the normal time. Like, oh, damn it. Yeah. So I flipped it out. I was like, you know what? I just want to get this over with. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really watching intently because I had just seen it, but <laughs> I was paying attention to anything that was different. I think my other so, ones that I've done twice in a row yeah. were Kill Bill Volume 2, I think, when oh. I like first got it on DVD. I watched it once. I was like, God damn, this is so good. And then I just like watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other one is, um, strangely, <laughs> Requiem for a Dream. Oh, my God. But because I was writing an essay about it. So you just... You hit the repeat. Yeah. Requiem for a dream on repeat. Got me into college. Okay. It's worth it. Yeah. Uh, so Lion King merch. Can yes. we talk about it? Yes, please. What was in your toy chest? Um, You know, I, I don't know if I had many toys from this. I feel like I was an action figure kid and I had, I didn't really have any interest in like animal action figures for some reason. <laughs> and I didn't really have any games or anything. Though my, my my neighbor across the street had the the Super Nintendo game, mm-hmm. and we should talk about the game because yeah. you and I just played it. Yes, on the Sega Genesis version, <laughs> but it's from what I understand, pretty much the same game. Yeah, yeah. There's some differences in the artwork. Yeah, and like a little bit in the music, mm. the quality of the music, because the Super Nintendo was superior in both respects for for that. Mm-hmm. But it's the same game. Yeah, and man, what a hard game. <laughs> <laughs> I never got like when when I went over to my friends to play, uh, we never got very far. <laughs> I just remember like the first maybe two or three levels, but we went through it. It's an insanely <laughs> hard game. Okay, so I do, yeah, I, I would also play it. Like I had a friend who had it, and only, I think I only encountered it a couple times. Like maybe you know years after the fact at a sleepover, like oh let's play Lion King for a little bit, and then mm-hmm. quickly get frustrated because it is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, very unforgiving. <laughs> Even with that invincible cheat, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, that's our secret shame. We did use some cheats because there's so many ways to die. Yeah. <laughs> In that way, it's kind of accurate. Accurate reflects yeah. nature. Yeah. Sur- survival of the fittest. However, it's just so, so difficult. Mm-hmm. Even on easy mode, when they give you like eight lives to complete, you can just run through those so quickly. Yeah. One false move and you're toast. But man, it's a beautiful game. It kind of came late. It really is. It kind of came late in the life cycle of both the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. So yeah. it's like kind of using it those hardware to its fullest capacity. Right. Yeah. It's like when PS One and sixty four were coming out. Well, they're on the horizon. So, it was yeah. like you know like a year before Sega Saturn. Okay. You know, a couple years before Nintendo sixty four. Yeah. But. The graphics are amazing. It's it's yeah. so fluid yeah. and like, you know, perfectly replicates the art style, the animation style of the yeah. film. And the music is amazing. Yeah. Like, it's, it stick it's it, so it, nice. it gets all the good songs from the movie, like even the score, like the really awesome score cues. Those Hans Zimmer cues. Ah. Oh, I love the music in this movie <laughs> so fucking much. <laughs> um but yeah, that's like it's some really impressive 8-bit versions of the Lion King music. Yeah. Highly recommended. And just <laughs> if you loop, like the soundtrack, looping. just yeah. like check out the 8-bit. And if you like hearing it over and over again, cuz you will <laughs> as you struggle to complete <laughs> the challenge. Well, what did you have a favorite level when we were going through it or ones um, that you enjoyed in particular? I think I think it's my nostalgic talking, but I think that first level where you're just kind of like jumping on the 
It's very green. Yeah. That level. Pride Rock. Pride Rock. I think I just have nostalgic attachment to that level in particular. Well, the first three, for sure, because those are the ones you could probably see. Yeah. You know, the only ones that you probably got to see as a kid. (laughs) But before, like, save points and stuff. And because I loved the Just Can't Wait to Be King scene in the movie, um, I like that. I, I, I liked that. Yeah. level as well that, which is one of the harder levels yeah it's so hard <laughs> and there really is no reason to be because it's yeah. the second level of the goddamn game <laughs> like come on but it's very difficult and yeah. i don't know i see i was never I, I wasn't that into platformers as a kid i had sonic games but other than that i wasn't mm-hmm. doing sports and stuff so i didn't understand like how and why you were supposed to beat a game in one sitting mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. and I, i'm still kind of curious to know I don't know if you were into that or if we have listeners that could write in, like, did you just like leave your TV on, like go do something else or go to sleep? Like what would, how did, how could you possibly beat a game that takes I think I just, six hours to beat? In I just city? never did it. Like, yeah, I have, I had game. I, there are games in my life that I just left lingering, you know, because I could never get that far. It's like if you, if you, it's literally impossible to beat a game, like in less than six hours or something like how how i guess like on a weekend you could you yeah. go stake out that time and just keep doing it yeah, but back then especially when you couldn't save i don't know like why it's weird yeah. <laughs> how, why and how uh, answer my answer my question <laughs> uh what were we watching at gmail.com i will say i was a little disappointed with the music as the game went along because yeah. i feel like they kind of run out of songs and then it eventually just kind of becomes like empty percussion <laughs> Um, we did notice that yes we <laughs> we sampled every level yeah we didn't get through like every level but because that would just be insane <laughs> but towards but, the end yeah towards the end it just starts like getting very stage. repetitive <laughs> which they just should have you know used some of the same music again yeah. it's good music yeah oh well but the ending's pretty cool yeah you're fighting scar yeah. and the lightning is happening and the thunderstorm mm-hmm. and the bonus levels with timon and pumbaa lest mm-hmm. we forget collecting bugs Gotta have some Timon and Pumbaa in the game. <laughs> oh, and the audio samples are good too. You know, like there's little oh, snippets yeah. of dialogue. Yeah. I like how you boot it up and it's, it starts. Yeah. <laughs> I was always partial to Rafiki, uh, when you choose to continue. The king has returned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever catch the IMAX re-release in 2002? No. Um, I did. I went, I went back to the theater. They were doing IMAX re-releases in 2002? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's not even that long after the movie came out. No? It seems like, you know... Eight years? Not even the 10th anniversary, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the occasion was, but um, that's when they put in the, the new song, Morning Report, which, for the record, I'm not a big fan of. Um, I've never heard this song. So it's, it's during the scene when, at the beginning, when... Um, the, you remember the pouncing lesson mm-hmm. when Zazu's like, here's the morning report. And then, um, yeah, he just drones on about yeah, he's boring on. stuff. <laughs> but in the new cut, he sings a song about the morning report. And, uh, I don't know, just, uh, Mr. Bean's big moment. I can see why they cut it. Yeah. And I feel like it kind of ruins the, the tension of the pouncing better without it. Don't need it. Cut <laughs> it. Poor Rowan Atkinson though. Yeah. Oh, but he did, he's, he's so good and just can't wait to be king. Yeah. I love his part in that. He's other moments to shine. Yeah. <laughs> Simba? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really have any merchandise from this movie. Hmm. 
definitely none of the toys. I didn't have the game. I slept in it, man. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. No clothes or stuffed animals or anything. But yeah. that's why the VHS was everything to me. And, and I was able to get a copy mm-hmm. for this recording. And watching the trailers before the movie really mm-hmm. brought all the memories flooding back. Yeah, that, there was, that Pocahontas trailer. Yeah, there's a great Pocahontas <laughs> trailer, which replicates basically the success they had with the Lion King trailer in that it's just a music video yeah. of like the powerhouse song. Yeah. And that's it. You get like the whole thing. Yeah. Very clearly what, you know, their strategy, yeah. it worked for this one. Yeah. But I also love the Disney world commercial, which seems insane because it's about these two young kids, like one's older, older brother, and younger brother. One's explaining basically what Disney world's all about. Cause he's been there before, but mm-hmm. it's the little brother's first time coming up on a family vacation. And they're making fun of the fact that this little kid sounds so like wise and mature. <laughs> he tells his brother, he's like, Oh, you're going to love it. Brings out the kid in you. There is no footage of like what is actually at Disney world, <laughs> which seems like the most insane marketing strategy today. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Back then they thought it was hearsay. <laughs> yeah. Like, like back then it's still like more mysterious because information was so much harder to come by, especially mm-hmm. for a little kid. Mm-hmm. that like you don't know what it looks like you just, just kind of want to imagine yeah disney world there's you just kind of like want to imagine what it looks like because uh, you can't go on the internet and like google search some images of mm-hmm. space mountain mm-hmm. like you just have to hear about it read about it yeah uh but that was wild just like wow they're not even showing a single ride <laughs> like how could a kid be excited about this yeah. it's just that mystery where's my lion king dark ride by the way that's a good question. Actually, now that I meant, now that I think about it, I feel like the '90s, which is the best Disney period, mm. is vastly underrepresented at Disneyland. Yeah, in terms of the animated movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they do have that Mer- Little Mermaid ride at California which is new, Adventure. Newer. Yeah, like the last, I don't know, fifteen, ten yeah. years. Yeah. Um, but like. There's nothing, nothing for Hercules or Pocahontas or Mulan. Or... <laughs> they used to do parades for all that stuff. That's yeah. what I remember. Like go in that going to or like reading the literature in that era. Yeah. There was like the Zero to Hero parade for Hercules. Mm. There's the Festival of Fools, which actually sounded pretty dope for that the is, Hunchback. That sounds appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> well, they and they had the stage show for the Lion King called Festival right. of the Lion King. Oh, you know what I. It was like a scaled down version of that Broadway. Yes, I've show. seen that. Yeah. I've, I've never seen the Broadway show, which I want to talk about. But I did, I think I was at Disney World when I saw that. Yeah, so the Animal Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, okay, so the stage musical has amazing music. I've listened to the soundtrack, and there are some just absolute bangers that oh, I really hope they put in the new movie. <laughs> I know they actually, I know they're putting one, or it's on the soundtrack, He Lives in You which is my favorite track from the musical. It's so powerful. I love it. Uh, I just hope it's not relegated to the credits. (laughs) Which you were were worried about because of the track listing. Well, first of all, I love that they just released the track listing. Yeah. And even then, there's like one song that's TBD. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. It better be Shadowlands because because, uh, that's the other one that I was really hoping for. That's one that Beyonce would sing because it's a Nala song. And she's she would just like kill it. And if, if what if it's morning report? Oh my god! No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have a big Beyonce banger. Do you think they wrote a new song for this movie? Though that's what I that's what I heard that they were gonna do. So it's probably that. 
Which means probably no Shadowland, unfortunately. Mm. But I hope I'm wrong. Maybe it's just new verses for Shadowland. <laughs> now nah, you gotta go for that Oscar, bro. You yeah. gotta have an original song. You're right. You, you hit the nail on the head. Okay. <laughs> Although maybe that's what he lives in you, like, will qualify as. I, I don't know what the rules are on that because mm. it's never appeared in a movie before, even though it's actually it an has. Existing it's song. been in. They put it in the second Lion King two. Oh, Simba's Pride. Yeah, and it's a very weak version of it compared to the oh, shit the Broadway one. Shots fired. Just doesn't have the energy. Doesn't have the stilts. <laughs> yeah. Big puppets. We'll see, though. <laughs> we'll see. I'm, I am genuinely excited. Actually, I, I, I was very wary of a, of a remake because I think it's a perfect movie. How do you improve on that? But the, the way is to incorporate these amazing songs from the Broadway show. Yeah, they have some equally strong material yeah. just sitting out there. Yeah. To expand the movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, but even as a kid, I knew how well this movie flowed. It was like, I was never aware of time yeah. watching this film. Just like one, one scene just flowing perfectly into the next. Yeah. I think as a kid, like before I really kind of studied films and I was just like, this is a perfect movie. It has everything. It's yeah. Got, it's got laughs. It's got drama. It's got romance. <laughs> oh, so it's so good for kids too. It really introduces you to the vocabulary of film yeah just even that dissolve from child to adult yeah like really says so much Mm -hmm. a very powerful impact of visuals i guess it's two dissolves because you see like the weird gawky teenage simba too for a second like a strange tuft on yeah (laughs) Yeah. do not like (laughs) skip past yep well let's fast forward all right (laughs) till we're big buff matthew broderick (laughs) anything else you remember Got any little memories in that head of yours? Just that I would eventually learn that it was loosely based on Hamlet. Oh, yes. Um, You know, you got some pretty just major broad strokes. Prince, who is exiled, you know, his uncle kills the king. Mm -hmm. Prince is exiled and has to come back for revenge on the father. And so I feel like maybe that's one of the reasons why I was primed to love Hamlet when we studied it in senior year of high school. Yo, this is just like the Lion King. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I loved like digging into Hamlet. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it is It is very unique among Disney movies, too, for that reason. It's it's like very Baroque. It's dealing with like kings and succession and yeah. all this stuff. It goes way over the heads of kids. I always, I've always felt, though, that the comparisons to Hamlet is like people trying to give a shine to this movie that it doesn't really need. Like, I right. I think that you could call it a masterpiece, a wonderful story on its own terms. Definitely. And I feel like I, I, I want to get into this when we talk about our thoughts now, but I feel like it's, it almost doesn't work to project this like governmental narrative yeah. onto animals. It's just a different animal altogether. Yeah. Um, but we can get into that. Yeah. Yeah, I just think I, I just feel like it's it's kind of reductive just to say it's Hamlet with lions. Right, and it's right. Like it's <laughs> that so, will not be my what were we watching? It's really yeah, <laughs> it's really much more than that, and it's yeah. very different in yeah. many ways too. So yeah. yeah, it's just you know people trying to justify maybe their intense love of this quote unquote film for children. Yeah, like no, you don't need to do that. Yeah. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> it's it's a masterpiece on its own on yeah. its own. It should have gotten the Oscar nom. But that that was a stacked year. It was a very competitive year. Yeah. Yeah. Like Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Oh, man. 
that Hugh Grant. Hard to beat. <laughs> All right, we're ready to go into our current analysis mm-hmm. of The Lion King. I am ready for your academic treatise. Yes. On Scar, Simba, Mufasa et al. <laughs> uh-huh. On uh, Shenzi and <laughs> Ed. Ed. <laughs> and who's the third hyena? Um, Shenzi. Banzai. Banzai. Right, yeah. <laughs> that one, that I never quite understood. <laughs> Why is there? <laughs> it's got a Z in it, you know. <laughs> I guess, well, you go from Shenzi, which actually sounds African. Yeah. Then to Banzai. Yeah. Banzai. And then, <laughs> I mean, Ed is already supposed to be the comedy one. Right. And Banzai is Cheech Marin. And mm-hmm. I don't understand. I don't get any of that. <laughs> it's still a oh, mystery. Whoopi. That's a name that you. Did you know Whoopi um, back in the day? I don't know if I had seen any of the sister acts by then. I don't mm-hmm. think I really knew who Whoopi was. Mm-hmm. It really it really is like my first introduction to a lot of these people. <laughs> yeah. Definitely did not know who Moira Kelly was either. <laughs> Maybe many years till I found, yeah. found out who she was. So upon rewatching, the first thing, I'm just now putting it together that um, at least when I was watching The Circle of Life at the beginning – that the animals are basically worshiping the sun. It's almost like that could be the circle of life. Yeah. Like a literal circle. That brings life. That brings life. Um, From the day we arrive on the planet. Yeah. And just how godlike it's presented. You know, I, I obviously it's like elevated to the status of, you know, almost mythic and godlike, but, or heavenly. But yeah, the, the first shot is the sun. Um, it, it is a circle. It is the life giver. And I think, um, I'm just going to jump into this. Um, perhaps the reason I responded so much to this movie when I was young, uh, and why it still resonates profoundly with me is because it's pretty much my worldview boiled down to a very simple allegory of the circle of life. So the earth is, you know, naturally a self-sustaining, self-perpetuating ecosystem. And the purpose of an apex predator like a lion is to control the food chain. Um, and facilitate this cycle. But it's when an organism disrupts that and desires more that it fucks it up. You know, yeah. when Scar brings in the hyenas and they eat everything, that's when it goes to shit. Um, and humans are basically a wannabe apex predator who took it upon themselves to, you know, crown themselves king of this ecosystem. Uh, defying nature, wanting more and more, like wanting way more than we need. We're very much more Scar than we are Mufasa. But I really hope we can be Simba. You know, we can maybe learn our lesson. We don't have to say Hakuna Matata. We don't have to say, let's not care about this stuff. Assume the responsibility that we have to guide the circle of life and facilitate it rather than stop it dead in its tracks right (laughs) and like simba to realize that you're part of something bigger than yourself yeah which is the whole of mufasa's message to him both in life and in spooky ghost form right uh that yeah that like you know you you come from a long line of these of of this these kings right and you're supposed to you know not just enjoy kind of the perks Right. Of being on top, but you're supposed to, you have a responsibility yeah. to take care of everybody yeah. and to take care of your world. It's a great arc. Yeah. And um, that's why I said, like, you shouldn't put too much stock into the fact that this is like kings 
it's kind of presented as this monarchy. I think it's a dangerous idea to to, to take that away that, you know, it's the bloodline that's important in this. No, it's it's the fact that he's a lion and that's the apex predator and he has a responsibility as as a lion to facilitate the yeah. circle of life. And that's kind of the way it's presented in the movie too. Yeah. There's very little about like the actual mechanics of monarchy yeah, in this. Exactly. <laughs> There's no lion standing up and saying like I have a divine right because I am a lion. Right. It's just yeah. the natural order of things. Yeah. But it kind of does come on the side of like bloodlines, or at least the direct lineal bloodline, because it's like the shifty uncle is the yeah. one who screws it all up. Yeah. Just because he didn't accept his place mm. in the in the grand scheme of things. It's weird that it had to be his uncle, but I guess that makes it all the more affecting and emotional. Yeah. That's another thing. The betrayal. Is Scar the most heinous Disney villain? Because he gets away with murder. Yeah. He literally murders his own brother. He tries to murder his nephew, a child. Twice. Twice. Do any other Disney villains get away with that much evil? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I feel like in the early days, there are some pretty nasty characters. Yeah. Like some of the Pinocchio villains are really unsavory <laughs> folks. But recently, and this is like spoilers for Coco, if you haven't seen it yet, but the villain in Coco murders that's, a guy. That's true. <laughs> poisoned a guy. That's true. Which I was, I was really into it. Yeah. Uh, I love the fact that one. we went back to what I called Old Testament Disney. Like, <laughs> here is a villain who is just a villain. Yeah. You know, he is supremely evil. He's not to be redeemed. He's just <laughs> announcing himself as, he, even though in that movie you don't realize it until like three quarters of the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I've, I've gotten so tired of that trend that they've used in a lot of recent Disney and Pixar movies where the, the quote unquote villain, like there's, it seems like there's no villain for half the movie. And then like, and then an ally or someone you thought was good reveals himself to be, I'm a villain. Yeah. And they used it over and over and over again. I'm like, no, like why <laughs> the lesson that you're trying to teach is admirable that like, you know, you can't ever tell exactly who's bad, but then like once someone goes bad, then they're just like bad totally like wholly bad right which i think if you're gonna do that just have them be bad from the beginning mm-hmm. corollary to like our aladdin discussion and how i just love the fact that jafar was a man with a plan and mm-hmm. like well everyone else is kind of like running around doing whatever he's always advancing his plot in like any way that he can scar mm-hmm. is the same way like mm-hmm. even better perhaps like yeah. he he's just always scheming from the moment you see him he's just saying yeah. like i'm an asshole <laughs> <laughs> That is my goal yeah. to be an asshole. Yeah. And it's wonderful. That's so uh, good. I like I like it especially in a movie like this where you have very clear lines between good and evil. Mm-hmm. Let the nuance come later. Like if it's for children, you know, it's okay I think to have things that are this obvious, right. this kind of stark. Yeah. That's it it plays into this kind of mythic quality to it. It's it's just very it's it is broad. But I feel like it's that's powerful. It's powerful in its simplicity, you know, the way that myths are, the way that a fable is, or some sort of allegory. Yeah, yeah, or or a Shakespearean play, yeah. like exactly. <laughs> you know, it's 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 pretty clear. Yeah, uh, what where the the sympathies are supposed to be, and man, it, it, the fact that Simba is just so super impressionable makes it even more devastating. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's my... got to be, my, my heart goes out to him. It's got to be so hard to be a little lion cub. Yeah. 
um, when Mufasa shows him, you know, this is all going to be yours. He's like, it's all mine. He's like, well, there's more to it than that. He's like, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, not getting it yet. Yeah. That's a good moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm also thinking of the, like the darker ones where he's like super trusting mm-hmm. of an, you know, an adult, an authority, a family yeah. member. Like yeah. when Scar teaches, tells him reverse psychology. Oh, yeah. don't go to the elephant graveyard. Much too dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Only brave lions. Go yeah. <laughs> but even worse, I think, you know, to your thesis that Scar is the most dastardly Disney villain, mm-hmm. not just the murders, but like the idea that he, that he tells Simba when Scar when Mufasa dies that it was Simba's fault, fault. Yeah. <laughs> and that like his mom won't accept him anymore, yeah. and that he should just run away. Yeah. Like that is so horrible. Yeah, <laughs> and because it's so real, like right. you see people being manipulated like that, and it's not even like there's no purpose to it because he yeah. for all, he he's about he has the hyenas. He's like, oh, go kill him now. Yep, like he didn't need to do that. No. <laughs> He could have just killed him right there. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. No one in that canyon. No one was there to witness it. Right. Because in the ensuing years, they all believe Scar's story. Yeah. You know that everyone that both Mufasa and Simba have died. But he had to get that like manipulative dig in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, an asshole. Yeah. Big old asshole. <laughs> Conversely, when he come when Simba comes back triumphantly and like oh. <laughs> he <laughs> Scar just like. Pulls out his trump card, just saying that, like, well, he killed Mufasa. <laughs> and Simba, Simba, I thought he put up more of a fight. Like, I'm still kind of, I don't think it quite connects. It's fine, but I think that is the weakest part of the movie, kind of logic-wise. Well, I think, he, so he's been growing up for years thinking he was responsible for it. Right. Like, and so he's like... But he just went through the... deny it? And he's like, well, no, because... He spent years thinking he was responsible for yeah. it. <laughs> I just feel like they just went through that whole thing when Nala discovers him and like yeah. he has the visions of Mufasa. Like he kind of yeah. comes to accept. And like before they go in, they kind of like say, we're all in this together. We're good. And he's mm-hmm. just like, no. I guess, I mean, I guess that I do cut him some slack for that. Um, that kind of trauma could revisit it or it's like it's, it instills itself. Yeah. But I guess more so it's like after the fact when. When he's like walking away and then Scar just for no reason says, oh, I killed him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> why would you, why would you say that? Why would you just tell him that? Just again, he, well, is, he whispers he, it to him as he's, you know. Yeah. He thinks he's going to kill him. Right. Scar has the high ground. Oh, right. <laughs> but Simba turns the tables after he learns the truth. Yeah. There's, there's a small, I, I'm usually not about like the how in these movies mm. like that logic addicted part but there is just a small piece of my brain that's like why are you even telling him this mm. just kill him <laughs> you had it because he had it scar he always has to get in that little dig yep he does he's that's such, his flaw. he's a jerk yeah. yeah he is a very flamboyant theatrical jerk yeah. i love jeremy irons oh my god movie. it's masterful yeah <laughs> like he's just, every he's the archetype really for every like, line is just dripping <laughs> He goes back to that, like in that tradition, grand tradition of Disney villains, like evil witch from Snow White, <laughs> just like so dastardly, yeah. dark, <laughs> evil. Yeah. Like there's nothing, there's like everything Physically about deformed. him. Yeah. Everything <laughs> about him just screams, I am a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeremy Irons really plays it up. Yeah. To the hilt. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Especially in his song, which I appreciate more now. Yeah. Than ever before, I think it fits in just 
as much with all the other classic songs on this soundtrack. Yeah. And then there's like the, the Nazi imagery. Yes. Where the, the, the triumph of the are, will. The hyenas yeah. are marching. The goose stepping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also like that scene because it also illustrates how much better they got at integrating the computer animation in mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. We talked about it some in Aladdin because it's really it's very noticeable there. Yeah. yeah. But it's less noticeable here. Uh, there's some amazing shots, like right from the beginning, like that rack focus on the ants that are carrying the leaves oh, on the yeah. tree branch, and then the rack focuses to like all the other ones. And this, it's like, oh, this is the most beautiful Disney movie ever. <laughs> I love it so much. It's really so advanced and so ahead yeah. of its time. Yeah. And it really set the stage. I mean, I think, I really think that the next couple movies after this, like Pocahontas and Hunchback, have parts that are just as beautiful, mm-hmm. but maybe kind of the, I think like Pocahontas, the, like the direction and the palette isn't quite there. Mm. And in Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's very sumptuous, but like in service of what, I don't know, like the, yeah. this, the story isn't quite there. And like the image and story and everything in the Lion King is, is, uh, supporting each other so yeah. well. Oh, that, that reminds me. Um, Something struck me when I was watching it, because I, I think in terms of screenwriting structure these days, Act 2, usually the first half of Act 2 is like the fun fun and games, and then the last half of Act 2 is darker, usually visually as well. But I feel like this almost flips that. You know, the first half of Act 2 is like kind of depressing, because Mufasa has died, you know, there's like the hyenas, there's the thorns, it looks very hellish, and then... The second half of Act 2 is, like, in this paradise-like oasis. And then love starts blossoming with Nala. And the tension is just, it's, it's like, it's a different sort of story. You know, it's, it, it doesn't have, like, your normal beats where it's like, this is the fun part, and now things get dark. It's like, things are dark, and then it's fun. But that's, that's the tension. It's like, Simba's fun is the problem. Like, mm-hmm. he, he needs to assume that responsibility again and i don't know i just really respect this movie for kind of like subverting that typical trope just in terms of a palette as well like it literally is darker in the beginning and then you know at the beginning of act two and then it kind of gets more colorful i don't know pretty quickly too like i i would say yeah the the dark half is really only like a quarter at best yeah at least, you know, it turns pretty quickly on that dime mm-hmm. once Hakuna Matata is yeah. introduced into the picture. Yeah. And there's still plenty of, like, uh, like that Dark Knight of the Soul moment. Right. I guess sort of happens in Act 2. Yeah. yeah it's the end of Act 2. Right? The end of Act 2, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, yeah, that's a good observation. Uh, that, especially, especially in a movie for children, that, you know, to have that message about, kind of shirking your responsibility or not like kind of understanding that you shouldn't deny your destiny, you know, becoming who becoming who you're meant to be, mm-hmm. which is paralleled too. in like, I like when they go back very briefly to pride, the pride lands and like yeah. what has become under scar. Yeah. You have that similar set of problems when you try to rise beyond your station too, which is another fascinating thing in this movie. That's all about balance and circles yeah. and the natural order of things. Yeah. They're like, just, you know, if, if you try to upset this thing that we've got going here, yeah, it jacks it up for everybody. Right. 
Yeah, it's really just a story about destiny. It's about betrayal and megalomania. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's about um discovering oneself and growing up. And a, m- a million other things I could just ramble on forever, which is what makes this movie so fascinating to examine mm-hmm. throughout your entire life. Yeah. You're always the a movie that is about the coming coming of age and that process, not just like as a teenager, but like literally from child to adult. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Especially in a kid's eyes when you can when you can kind of project yourself and want to be like Simba. Me, I want to be like Rafiki, quite honestly. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I find myself appreciating him more and more. I love it. My I, one of my favorite moments is when he just like snatches the like dust and feathers that are like floating through the air and sniffs them and sniffs them <laughs> well then he puts them in his like little tortoise shell yeah and he's like hmm, like something about this is familiar and then he like takes a bite of the fruit or whatever that which is the same one that he like painted on Simba. paints on yeah. simba's forehead <laughs> like it's like the association comes together for him he's like walker texas ranger yeah <laughs> smells it simba's alive <laughs> yeah <laughs> downwind (laughs) (laughs) oh what a shame well i like rafiki a lot because he's this very sparingly used but very important connective tissue Mm -hmm. throughout this film Mm -hmm. and in the arc of simba yeah i just like this idea of a monkey shaman showing us the passage of time and and kind of um representing kind of the hopes and dreams of all the other creatures in this ecosystem Mm -hmm. like he he draws the little lion cub when yeah. he's born you know he he's grieving when everyone thinks simba has died and then he's so happy when he's realizes he's laughing and then draws that mane across like <laughs> all right this is what we've been waiting for yeah another thing that occurred to me like with my revelation that it's the sun is the circle of life i used to always think that like he's showing simba the new cub to the animals but Pride Rock is also positioned towards the sun. And mm-hmm. It's almost like a sacrifice to the sun, or it's like <laughs> this is your this is your new king. Like he's offering Simba to the sun. Yeah, the sun has also had great significance in a lot of monarchical societies, mm. either as just like yeah, a, a point of kind of religious adulation. Yeah. Or, or as a metaphor, yeah. uh, Louis the Fourteenth, I think, of France, he was known as the Sun King because he was yeah. literally like that described kind of his his dominance over all facets of life. That yeah. like literally, I'm the one who makes yeah. things go. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, without me, like none of this is possible. <laughs> or Japan, I, I loom this large. Sun. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Also, a great animals song in the House of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking of like you know. In the Americas, I believe, you know, there's also like, lots of sun, not worshiping, but like sun gods in yeah. Egypt, Ra. Ra, the sun yeah. god. So yeah, it, it it's all tied, it's all tied in together, yeah. these theories of power and societies. It's, it's like it's a circle. It's all connected. Well, it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> so these days, still loving the voice cast, but Matthew Broderick is a very interesting choice for Simba, adult Simba. I feel like it works. I think, well, I, I, anything else now would sound weird because it's so ingrained. Yeah. But I wonder at the time, like, that was such a, like, you know, he's, Matthew Broderick was Ferris Bueller and yeah. probably that was still the be- thing he was best known for. Yeah. 
there's like an inherent kind of sensitivity to his voice. Um, yeah. And, and kind of a timidness maybe that I feel like works for his character who's, you know, hesitant to kind of assume his, his role, his rightful place. Right. That's why I feel it like it works. Um, and you have to think about losing his father at a young age. He didn't gain that kind of bluster and confidence and yeah. aggression. Right. <laughs> Mufasa. Right. He wasn't, he was raised basically by Timon and Pumbaa for yeah. half his childhood. He's just, yeah, he is Ferris Bueller. He just, he's just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Oh my God. That's the true revelation. <laughs> Slimy yet satisfying. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> They really should have done that. Simba at the end of the credits. Go home. It's over. Oh, I can't wait for Donald Glover. That's a pretty great casting. Yeah, talk about, you know, sensitivity and yeah. kind of like a little bit of unexpected yeah. casting. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. So is James Earl Jones still as Mufasa? <laughs> you, can't, you can't beat it. Yeah, not while he's still around, man. No. He lives in us. He lives in <laughs> James Earl Jones truly lives in all of us. An American classic. All right, so we actually have a very special feature since this is our special 150th episode. We actually reached out to some friends of the pod before recording, uh, folks who had expressed interest in, you know, talking about The Lion King. We wanted to include those voices even as we did this episode, just the two of us, because we thought that was important for being our special anniversary episode. we, We figured we'd have a lot to talk about. Yeah. It was so special to both of us. And we have some more segments that we're going to get into. But we wanted to give a little shout out to the people that wanted to talk about The Lion King. So they emailed us. They pre-mailed us. Pre-mailed us. us. <laughs> we solicited some thoughts uh, from some former guests of the show. So uh, the first one, I believe, is from Mr. Kevin Young. And Kevin writes, I could be wrong, but I think Lion King was the Disney movie I watched the most as a kid. It was either this or Aladdin. So, you know, pretty much like every male in our age group. That tracks. It also (laughs) describes me. I had that Lion King soundtrack album on CD. My feelings have shifted pretty drastically between childhood and and adulthood on the music. As a kid, I was all about be prepared. But as an adult, that song kind of feels a little low-key and uninspired for a bad guy song. Partly due to the fact that Jeremy Irons sounds like he's sleep-singing. It's certainly no poor, unfortunate souls. Thoughts on that, Eric? Well, <laughs> yes, thoughts. I think Jeremy Irons, well, number one, is not a singer. I, <laughs> and he actually blew out his voice doing that sequence. So parts of it are Jim Cummings, who is the oh. voice of Ed in this movie. Interesting. And, and kind of like, you know, a Team Disney, like utility MVP guy. He's done a lot of voices across so many of these movies. I think I read that like Jeremy Irons, Jeremy Irons came with like cigarettes <laughs> to prepare for that song, which probably didn't help the blowing out. <laughs> right. See, I think the performance of that is actually, I, I enjoy it because he's just, it, it's an extension of his just normal vocal performance in the movies yeah. is growling this dark and deep, deeply dark song of his yeah. murderous intentions and i think sleep singing like sleepy is kind of jeremy irons in a nutshell he's very like <laughs> languid and and what's it makes him unsettling in a lot of out, yeah you know, like um like like in reversal of fortune which is a great yeah. jeremy irons movie 
I will say that uh, it is. I agree, <laughs> but I will say that listening to the sound, listening to that song by itself, does not have the same effect as listening to it while you're watching the movie. Um, because I feel like the visuals add so much to be prepared. Just the, it's very hellish. It's like oh my god, the geysers. Yeah fire well first it's like green and black which is very you know an unsettling palette and then it it gets hotter and hotter and it becomes red and becomes more hellish um and you get the nazi imagery and it's i don't know i feel like it it really culminates yeah visually and the subject matter too it's like yeah, it's, it's dark it's dark it's not only about murder and, and like bad things you're going to do to specific individuals but it's like megalomania it's like this really <laughs> yeah kind of baroque concept for a kid's movie yeah. talking even in the song is like you know talking about matters of succession yeah. <laughs> pay attention <laughs> like, what what i think it actually is almost designed to go over a kid's head you're just supposed to look at the visual yeah i think there are lots of treats in the lyrics for older viewers yeah. to like just appreciate how dastardly scar yeah. is but to each their own i, I can understand too I mean, Poor Unfortunate Souls is a banger. Yeah. And the bar is so high for Disney villains, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and their songs. So it's kind of rare for a villain to get a full a whole song these days. I feel like they, yeah. I feel like they used to always have one, at least. Well, there's no none in Aladdin. That's true. Hmm. And, like, Gaston is an unconventional villain song. Because yeah. it's so fun, it's like yeah. it's not. It's like showing that he's a douchebag, but not necessarily that he's evil. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Kevin continues. I also just did not get Circle of Life. It was a concept I had trouble grasping as a young kid, and the African style chorus and beats were too alien for me to get into. Today, it easily can get me misty eyed. Hakuna Matata stands the test of time. It deserves its place in pop culture, also because it inspired. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correct. I can help. It's uh, Hasadiga Iboi. From the Book of Mormon, which is the shit. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> can You Feel the Love Tonight was always the snoozer for me during the movie and on the soundtrack album, especially the Elton John version. I always groaned through that as a kid. As an adult, I still feel like it's pretty trite and derivative. Not Elton John's best work. Its best contribution to my life is that it introduced the word vagabond to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's let's start unpacking this. Yeah. I think, yeah, Circle of Life is pretty abstract, I think, mm-hmm. for a kid, at least. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, like I said, I, I didn't it. really fully understand it until <laughs> more recently. Yeah. And then Hakuna Matata, obviously. Yeah. Awesome. Always. Can you feel the love tonight? I do remember the music video for this with Elton John, like the white suit, like singing <laughs> yeah. in front of the waterfall and then like intercut with scenes from the movie. Mm-hmm. I actually was digging that. I think I, I understood that song more. Also, because like I said earlier, it was played on the piano every day yeah, in my yeah. home. <laughs> I I liked it. and it's stirring. I, yeah, yeah. I still like it. I still have a soft spot. I totally understand what he's saying, though especially if you compare it to other Elton John works. Yeah. Not his best. But in terms of a pop star, like, teaming with Disney, like, you know, it's pretty good. And, Kevin, you just have never heard me sing it at karaoke. <laughs> Maybe that would. It's my go-to Disney oh my song God. for karaoke. I don't think I've heard that. Well, you got to come out. 
Elton John version only. None of that <laughs> Timon and Pumbaa bullshit. What? <laughs> it's fighting words. Well, in the movie it works, but like once, I remember once I, I went to this, uh, place that was specifically all Disney karaoke and they yeah. had like tons of the songs and so I chose Can You Feel the Love Tonight, but they didn't specify like it was the mm. movie version. And mm. I went up expecting the Elton John pop version. Oh. And I'm like, so you had to, I am not here to perform to channel, cartoon voices for you. You had to channel you. Nathan Lane. <laughs> I am not here to be a clown, sir. But I love the framing device of that song in the movie where they're like, oh, great. We're going to lose our friend to romance. Yes. Like, and then it ends like. In short, our pal is doomed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, it's so, do, it's so endearing. Yeah. And the, the, the alternate lyrics are good too. Like, you know, I, yeah. I, I give them props for changing all that for the movie. Mm-hmm. Like when it, it's, you know, going into Simba's thoughts and into Nala's thoughts. Yeah. So like, I can, she's like, I can't tell her right, why I'm right. really out here. And she's like, he, she's holding back, you know, yeah. he's, he's hiding something. And, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so good in the movie, but. Um, that's another, that's just another place where I diverge with Kevin. <laughs> I really like the Elton John version. Yeah. And Kevin, you didn't even mention just can't wait to be king. I don't think that appears in your email. Well, um, we're not done with it yet. So I'd love and, to, and let's, I'd love to know your thoughts. I don't, I don't want us to, I feel like we're slamming Kevin too much on this email. <laughs> I really appreciate him. No, I do. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, I love your, uh, song by song. Oh downs. yeah. Please do this more Please, often. Yeah. <laughs> Please always do this. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Uh, Kevin continues overall, this movie, like just about all Disney animated features holds up very well. Like star Wars. I feel like James Earl Jones lends the movie more gravitas than it would have otherwise based solely on his commanding performance. Jeremy Irons performance song aside also brings a level of menace that makes the emotional moments work in a way they probably would not have otherwise. Plus, I was all about them hyenas as a kid. (laughs) Hey, do we order this meal to go? Also, I remember reading an issue of Disney Adventures where they had an interview with JTT where he said they somehow made a video of his mom dying (laughs) and showed it to him to get a realistic reaction when he says no to seeing Mufasa die. Don't know if that's true, but it's stuck with me through all these years. (laughs) Oh, Kevin, I'm so glad you brought this up because I did research into that issue of disney adventures i remember that too i remember the the lion king issue mm-hmm. it was a special one because they had already come out with an issue that month i think and it was like a is that the one with like simba on like playing with mufasa on the cover yeah yeah so yeah and there's an interview with jtt and I, I i searched high and low i couldn't find the actual article but i found at another website like i think it was tv tropes even where they kind of had this story recounted and this is the way i remember it going is that the director told jtt to imagine his mom falling like mm. imagine like you saw your mom falling off a cliff <laughs> and and the 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 goof in all of it was that when it, he recorded the first take he yelled mom instead of dad as he was supposed to yell because <laughs> he's director told him think about your mom yeah he pulled a he pulled a maggot brain so the funkadelic song <laughs> george clinton told, okay um george clinton told eddie hazel the guitarist to so the it's a long song. Uh, he told him, for the first half, play like your mama just died. Yeah. And then for the second half, play like your mama just came back to life. Oh, my God. Uh, it's an incredible song. But uh, <laughs> that's what it reminds I me of. <laughs> that's, oh, I did not know that. That was a great story. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I like Kevin's memory, too, of, like, a, vi- a video of his mom dying. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. That was, somehow, yeah. <laughs> 
But that's that's what I could find on that. But I I vividly remember that Disney Adventures. Good old DA. DA, our old friend. <clears throat> Kevin continues. Also, that's this just occurred to me. What a perfect episode for you guys to do on your 150, 150th birthday. Yes. <laughs> We've done this for 150 years. Well, every episode is like a birthday celebration. It's true. A movie about a kid growing up and revisiting his old home with a new perspective. Last thing, rapper Lil Dicky has a song about the Lion King that I recommend everyone listen to. It's pretty hilarious. I did listen to that today. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty funny. I was familiar with that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible too. Yeah. Like the amount of talent and and yeah preparation that went into that <laughs> it's it's like it sounds like a freestyle about the lion king who just goes through the whole plot yeah <laughs> and samples a lot of the music that's in the movie yeah he samples lion sleeps tonight mostly yeah, yeah. But then it gets into like can you feel the love tonight yeah for a stretch recommended <laughs> <laughs> thank you kevin yeah terrific thank you so much for that pre-mail about the lion king but please send in your thoughts about just can't wait to be king because childhood me is very offended that you didn't mention that. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's true. We can, we, we can, uh, while we're waiting for our next movie that has a soundtrack that you can comment on track by track, <laughs> we'll, we'll take your thoughts on just can't wait to be king. All right. Our second pre-mail comes from my sister, Amy Ambler. And here are her Lion King thoughts. Uh, she says, I deemed this my favorite Disney movie upon seeing it for the first time, and nothing has surpassed it in 25 years. Join the club. Yeah. <laughs> Although I have no doubt that it remains my favorite Disney film, it is harder to pinpoint exactly why. There is no one reason, but rather a multitude of factors. The timing of the film was important, I think. Uh, it was 11, or I was 11 when it came out, and thus old enough to appreciate the story and still young enough to be very impressionable. Disney has made some films that have powerful stories, Finding Nemo and Up in particular, but I was much older when they came out. The impact of the story was not quite as moving or powerful as The Lion King because of my age and experience. A related factor is that the main character is a child for approximately half of the movie. Many Disney films featured main characters that were teenagers or adults. I could relate to Simba. His anxiousness to grow up and his deep connection to his parents were things that I understood. The wildebeest stampede and resulting death of Mufasa is one of the most intense and heartbreaking scenes I've seen in any movie. Yes, all this is very true. Still true. <laughs> yeah, it, and it goes a long way to have this identifiable, relatable protagonist. Yeah, it's true. It's like there aren't a lot of Disney movies where like the kid character is the one that you're supposed to mm-hmm. kind of reflect on the most. Yeah, I think for a long time actually, like the the kid characters just there to be cutesy in Disney yeah. movies. Like they cast actual like toddlers something it seems right (laughs) also on this lion king vhs there's a there's a trailer for the aristocats Mm -hmm. which is a good example of that there's those like three kittens that are in it yeah um and those are clearly like just the voices of some six-year-old and it's (laughs) to me it's like nails on a chalkboard (laughs) just wait till they're a couple years older and can actually like act and kind of understand what acting is yeah um all right amy continues Finally, it is my favorite because it brings together powerful music, delightful humor, and epic story into one amazing film. Mm. The music, animation, and story are majestic and grand in scale, and the music in particular does a wonderful job of complementing all the moments in the story. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) It is a story that resonates across time and culture, family, community, home, love, loss, redemption. 
It's the circle of life. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the epicness of this movie cannot be denied. And that's yeah. what made it feel so different and why it was seemed like such a huge deal. Yeah. Like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, these are good movies. But the Lion King seemed like important. It's mythic. Like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it taps into the same reason I love Star Wars. It's like it just taps into this like mythic quality. Like you're watching book from the Bible or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because it's. It, it, I think a long a large part of that is like there's no people in it. It's like yeah. It's like a time before we be even timeless. existed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who knows when this is happening? Right. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for that pre-mail, Amy. Uh, appreciate you and your thoughts on the Lion King. Uh, one of our favorites as well. Is is this the movie, the Disney movie you've watched the most, do you think? Yes, for sure. <laughs> for me, it's either this or Aladdin. Mm-hmm. But if, we, if we're counting Pixar, I've seen Toy Story a hell of a lot, too. I have, too, but I've probably seen this more. Mm-hmm. Probably solely because of that one period where I just, like, watch it every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. It's just burned into my brain. Every beat, I'm I'm, like... I could mouth along with it. <laughs> it's one of those movies. Um, all right. We have one more email, pre-mail, from Nate Tapp, another friend of the podcast, frequent guest. He says, a memory. Use it if you would like. The Lion King was an integral part of my growing up. Between the film itself, the stellar soundtrack, the Broadway musical, and its stellar soundtrack, the impossibly difficult Sega Genesis video game, <laughs> and, Tim- and Timon and Pumbaa's spin-off TV show, my childhood was saturated in all things Lion King. It was at some point during this Lion King craze that I learned that the Lion King, in many ways, was loosely based off of a William Shakespeare play that I had never really heard about. It was a useless fact that I stored in my brain for many years, hoping someday it would prove to be useful. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to my senior year, first day of AP literature. I sat down with my friend Caroline. We shot the shit, talking about summer vacation. At some point, Caroline made reference to our summer reading. This was the first time I had heard of any such thing. <laughs> According to Caroline, we were supposed to read Hamlet. We're going to be writing an in-class essay on Hamlet. And according to Caroline, this was happening in class today. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking out, I dove deep into my brain and latched onto the one thing I knew about Hamlet. The Lion King was loosely based on it. <laughs> <laughs> Simba was Hamlet. Mufasa was Hamlet's dad. Scar was Hamlet's uncle. Nala was Hamlet's love interest. Zazu was Hamlet's advisor. Paper was passed out. Pencils began scribbling. Like a lion coming to terms with his place in the circle of life, I turned to write my essay armed only with my knowledge of the Lion King. (laughs) Unfortunately for me, Simba never pondered killing himself, and Nala never threw herself into a river, and Scar didn't pour poison into Mufasa's ear, and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are not a warthog and meerkat. (laughs) (laughs) The point is... I wrote a really bad and vague essay about Hamlet because I never read it. This is the part of the story where I should say The Lion King got me an A+, but it unfortunately did not. Instead, it helped me receive an F. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) More stories of Nate getting Fs. (laughs) Yeah. I was a part of the last one, but um, that's funny about this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what was that science project? What the what, physics project? What was that? Were you talking about during the Sandlot? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> oh well. As Rosencrantz and Guildenstern probably said at some point in Act Two, Scene Two, Hakuna Matata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that as well. 
classic part of Hamlet. Oh my god! Thank you, Nate. That's such a good story. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I doubt. Oh man, I doubt that he still has it. But I would love to read that essay. <laughs> Probably not one that he saved. So you guys yeah. got an F on it. <laughs> uh, that would be so funny. Oh man. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of like the context and like what and what he was actually writing. Like, uh, Hamlet uh, goes and lives in an oasis. <laughs> when Hamlet comes back and throws his uncle off a cliff. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, thank you, Nate, for that wonderful message. Thank mm-hmm. you for everyone who wrote us a pre-mail. <laughs> um, and if you would like to re- react, respond to our discussion. In this episode, uh, you can drop us a line at what were we watching at gmail.com. And that includes the pre-mail writers. If you want to sound off again, now having heard our thoughts, there's still more show to go, Cam. We've got a couple other features we got to get to. Oh, yes. This is our anniversary, Eric. Oh my God. Yeah. We're staying up late tonight, baby. <laughs> so first thing we got to do is an old favorite. Let's throw out some pitches. So I'm assuming we both have very long pitches, very detailed. <laughs> yeah, mine, well, I started mine, but I, I feel like I also need to kind of improvise the later part of it. Okay. So I can go first because it might ramble. It riff? <laughs> yeah. Play a little jazz with it? Yeah. All right. All right. Let's hear it. So in our Aladdin episode, I pitched a shared Disney princess universe uh, where several Disney villains led by Maleficent have banded together. And so this is sort of a continuation of that shared Disney universe uh, using Lion King as an anchor. So Simba is out with his daughter, Kiara, who is from the sequel, and her boyfriend, Kovu. They're out hunting for food when they encounter a poacher. And this can be either Clayton from Tarzan mcleach from rescuers down under please be mcleach i want to be i want to i actually yeah i was i was <laughs> leaning towards mcleach because i feel like his his death scene is a little more ambiguous like he could maybe have survived that <laughs> from memory from memory it's pretty far to fall yeah yeah Clay, but, you know, Clay, water. clayton ain't <laughs> yeah it's true clayton ain't getting back up from being hanged <laughs> um so yeah let's go with mcleach anyways McLeach shoots Kovu, and Simba tries to hold back an enraged Kiara. She pushes past him, ready to attack the poacher. He raises his gun to shoot, and then, blam, a blinding light. When it dies down, we see that the poacher has completely vanished. Kiara is unharmed. Baffled about what just happened, they return to Pride Rock and mourn Kovu's death. Sometime later, Pride Rock receives a visit from a mysterious pride of female panthers of different colors one's black one's pink um and they're flanked by some other oh, sinister looking animals like uh diablo the raven from uh sleeping beauty iago from aladdin yeah so it's just like a, a bad crew of of evil lionesses or panthers um challenging simba for the for the for the throne of pride rock and they say we're you know we're in charge now and simba's you know steps up to challenge them and then the black one morphs into a giant black dragon and it's maleficent who has shapeshifted into this into this panther it's black panther and then the pink one is madame mim 
<laughs> oh my god. Um yeah, it's it's a team of it's a team of Disney villainous villains and villainesses okay. who have the ability to transform into animals. And you'll see why in a in a minute. Madame Mim from Sword and Stone. Sword and the Stone, yes. And they, you know, rain down uh dragon fire on all of Pride Rock, and so Simba protects the pride, ushers them away to safety, and they retreat back to the Hakuna Matata Oasis. Um, and there Simba takes a moment to reflect to himself on how to go up against this new unstoppable foe. And he catches a glimpse of Mufasa's spirit near a stream and he follows it. Um, and he eventually follows it into a, a mysterious cave with a swirling portal of light. And in it, he can make out the sound of a, of a voice talking and he assumes it to be his father. It's a deep voice. And he approaches it when suddenly a group of animals spills out from the portal in front of him. And it's just a, a collection of, of animals from other Disney movies. It's Baloo from The Jungle Book. It's, you know, Bambi. It's Dumbo. Abu and Raja from Aladdin. Archimedes the Owl from Sword in the Stone, who is with Merlin in squirrel form <laughs> from Sword in the Stone. Badass. Um, and Merlin brings, you know, brings a warning. He says, you know, your world is in danger. These evil queens, these evil sorceresses, have wiped out all of humanity from this planet. They cast some sort of spell that wiped out all humans, but left all animals intact. And they were able to subvert that because they are, they have the ability to transform into animals, animals themselves. So this is their way of one-upping the princesses that they're, they're fighting against. Um, and so, you know, Merlin's like, we need to do something about the, you know, we need to, we need to fight back. And so, Simba takes it upon himself to gather all these animals, these, this, you know, Avengers of <laughs> Disney animal <laughs> sidekicks and yes. anim, animal protagonists from different Disney movies to go up against, uh, the villainesses. But Kiara brings in some tension because she's like, you know what? Maybe humans shouldn't be back. Like maybe, maybe we should leave things to the animals, um, because humans hunt animals, you know, she's very, Still angry from, from Kovu's death by, by a poacher's hand. Uh, so that we get some tension between father and daughter about, you know, whether or not humans even deserve to, to be brought back to life. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately it becomes about, you know, Simba kind of having this come to Jesus moment where, you know, he has to grapple with whether the circle of life is better off with humans in the picture or without. But ultimately, he decides that the right thing to do is to to bring people back. And so these animals go up against the witches and the sorceresses, and they fight back. So the reason they come to Pride Rock is because, for some reason, it's a special magic place, Pride Rock. Or they, they think it's Pride Rock that's magical, but maybe it's actually like the Hakuna Matata Oasis, which has like the portal to the other Disney dimensions. Right, right. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a mess, but maybe the magic was inside them all. Yeah. <laughs> it's the friends they made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I just want to see all the Disney animals going up against <laughs> each other. Um, you know, I already had my Disney princesses going up against all the Disney yeah. villains, but uh, let's see the animal version of that. And I feel like Lion King is the, the perfect anchor for that story. Mm -hmm. 
And so this one, the last one was called The Magic Kingdom. This one's called The Animal Kingdom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's like an, another like Kingdom Hearts style thing. Yeah. I love it. I also like your comparison to the Avengers because I was thinking when Simba's at the Oasis and finds a portal, that's like Thor and Age of Ultron. Yeah. Just like going into a, a, a magic pool for some reason. <laughs> right. Just because. Yeah. And I imagine a very end game, like on your left, like portals just opening and all these like <laughs> familiar characters. You mean a very, out. a very like Thor of the Dark World with portals? <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Uh, mine, mine is nowhere near as ambitious. So, I um, but mine, mine's, mine's too. It's all over the place. It's, so. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's what the people want to see. <laughs> I think out of the, I haven't even told you what mine is yet but out of the two i think yours gets green lit for mine <laughs> obviously let's hear it. let's hear it obviously when you bring back everybody you get those nostalgia pops in there mm. all right so here's my pitch uh so we set three generations after simba's reign so we have mm. a new set of lion characters so the lion king and queen have two cubs there's a they have a principled and responsible daughter mm-hmm. and an irreverent and adventure seeking son who is the older sibling uh, and while the indulgent prince is groomed for leadership, the older and smarter princess, oh, sorry, the princess is older, but because of the laws or whatever, she cannot inherit. Mm-hmm. So the older and smarter princess organizes the lionesses into the savannah's most efficient hunting group, which is kind of what we saw happening in The Lion King. And in nature, the lionesses are the ones who go out and hunt for the, the group. The siblings have a falling out when the prince lobbies the king to limit the number of other animals that are allowed to hunt and forage in the Pride Lands, building that wall, which makes the princess mad because this upsets the delicate balance that she and her hunters have worked so hard to preserve. So the king listens to the prince, implements his plan, but things soon take a turn for the worse. The lion-dominated area becomes disconnected from the greater ecosystem, leading to hardship and starvation, not unlike when Scar was running the show. The king and queen both pass away, and it's unclear whether it's because they're just both older. It could have been the lack of nutrition or the conditions brought on by this poor decision. Uh, And that causes the siblings to argue, have a falling out. And the prince, who now has become the Lion King, Mm -hmm. sends his sister into exile. She eventually builds a network of other animal allies having to overcome their well-founded resentment of lions who kicked them out of the Pride Lands and leads them all back to her home. Uh, this sets the stage for a final confrontation, and as this happens, the siblings decide to negotiate instead of fight for the sake of their late parents. They settle on a new system of governance that involves participation from representatives of many other animal species. So running the other direction it is about government camp <laughs> no <laughs> the royal lions oversee this more inclusive power structure together and restore their home to its former prosperity this is essentially you know the story of the magna carta <laughs> or the spirit of 1776 is whatever you want it to be mm-hmm. uh, in historical comparison however in a final scene we pull back and we see that this is all taking place in a game preserve in kenya where a British documentary film crew has been following these developments for three years and is completely stunned by this unprecedented display of interspecies cooperation. And I call this movie Planet Earth Circle of Life. <laughs> Whoa. Twist ending. Hell yeah. What a twist. <laughs> David Attenborough is narrating. <laughs> 
It's like a Planet of the Apes ending. Yeah. <laughs> Which was totally my goal. So I'm glad that you like it. I love it. <laughs> uh, so there you go, Hollywood. Those are our favorite, our favorite, our best ideas. Not only our favorite, but go ahead and you can uh, send us the checks in the form of... Uh, I didn't think about anything for this one, sadly. Slimy yet satisfying insects. <laughs> yeah, you can send us the checks. Uh, you can put them under a log, and we'll turn it over and slurp <laughs> them up. There we go. As we're wont to do. All right, Cam. Uh, there's also one more regular feature that we've got to get to if you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ask ourselves a question that we ask at every single episode: What were we watching? So, for The Lion King, I was watching one of the great cinematic bonding experiences, and that is the bonding of music and image, (laughs) deep connection, the duality of innocence and maturity, that coming-of-age story, the breaking down of the barrier between Disney animation and all the preconceived notions that come with it and the quote-unquote serious filmmaking. And also, the bonding between young and old, both in this story and in the audience. This is meant to be watched and enjoyed by multiple generations. Mm -hmm. In the sense that there's stuff for kids and stuff for adults, but also in the sense that it's a great way to start conversations about what it means to kind of like take your place in the world. Mm-hmm. Just even start thinking about that as a kid yeah. and not just like view the world as something created for you, yeah. but something that you're a part of. Mm. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I echo, I echo all of that. Uh, and what I was watching was a mythic allegory whose profundity is in its simplicity. Um, like I said before, it, it kind of just resonates so profoundly with my worldview that this world is an ecosystem and we should recognize our place in it and not try to control it, not try to take more than, than we need, but to just go with the flow, go with the circle of life and not put a stop in it and disrupt it. I don't know. We should just let life flourish. Yeah. It's a plea to like, simultaneously back off but also pay more attention yeah there's a responsibility yeah like we have the power to to change it to stop it um and we need to wield that responsibly yeah well said there are also some who may said we we were watching a ripoff of kimba the way (laughs) (laughs) which is a whole other interesting story in of itself that like that's a whole other podcast probably yeah I, I did read it just briefly today. About, yeah. You know, there's some similarities like Kimba, the white lion, sees his, I think it's his mother in the stars. And, you know, there's some similarities. Yeah. There's like a, a circle of life concept in that one as well. But but reading the plot, it did seem pretty different. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, it's just like the, the, the foundational similarities, I think, yeah. are what got people mad. And we should explain to the listeners that Kimba the White Line is like this beloved Japanese yeah. like cartoon from series. A few decades earlier? Yeah. Or yeah, like sixties and seventies. Yeah. 
but you know enough high enough profile that i think i was reading like matthew broderick when he's first signed on to the project assumed it was an american adaptation of kimba yeah, yeah. <laughs> which of course he would that nerd <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I read that too. He's like, he, of course, know, he's I familiar with Kimber. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, but that—that's a whole. Like I said, it's a whole interesting story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, obviously, like a lot of Disney movies, went through many iterations and draws from so many different sources. Yeah. All right. Now this is when we usually wrap up. We are going all out for our 150th episode. Another milestone episode for us. Got to do something a little special. Yeah. So we thought we'd look back at some of our earlier episodes and kind of, so the point of doing this, we've often said it's right there in our opening spiel. It's not about good or bad. It's about then and now. Like mm-hmm. we're trying our best not to like render judgment on whether a movie, you know, is still worthy of being watched. But for the moment, just for fun, mm-hmm. we're going to set that aside. Yeah. And we've chosen uh, a few a few of our episodes to kind of highlight uh, like what is still worth watching and what wasn't worth watching. Yeah. So do you want to start with the positives or the negatives? Let's what, go. What would be more fun. Let's go negative first. Okay. Yeah. Cause, so, cause let's, let's end on a positive note. <laughs> okay. I can, I can agree with that. All right. So we're going to start with what wasn't worth watching the three movies that we decided to highlight that like maybe we don't need to revisit again yeah my criteria for picking these was like the element of surprise so like there are things that i probably was like you know it's probably not going to hold up and it didn't but these are things that like i I was kind of pushing for like hoping that something would be redeemable but uh, or I was expecting to like it again because I have maybe memories that were good. Yeah. So my first one, we can alternate if you want. Sure. Um, yeah. So the first one I mentioned w- that I was going to mention was um, Jungle to Jungle. <laughs> um, it wasn't bad, but I, I just I feel like I remember just laughing out loud so much as a kid and finding it so funny. Um, but then being very meh as an adult, like rewatching it, like it wasn't as funny and and I barely remember it now like i feel i feel like right after i watched it i kind of forgot it <laughs> yeah there wasn't there's was something that seemed like such a novelty in its day yeah there wasn't the there wasn't a whole lot like memorable about yeah. it yeah just mimi siku meaning cat pee yeah it's about yeah. it so like my my, <laughs> my feeling after watching it was like i can put this one on the shelf like i don't mm. i don't need to revisit it after after doing it for this podcast my first choice is kind of a hot take, mm. and it is Space Jam. Ooh, I I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like everything that's interesting about that movie is kind of pushed into the background, mm. like the Looney Tunes uh, shenanigans, mm-hmm. and it's the kind of epitome of a cinematic commercial novelty mm-hmm. when you have Michael Jordan, just <laughs> everything's focused on him yeah. and, and kind of the merchandising of the movie and then yeah. getting you to buy into this like kind of frenzied celebrity worship, getting you to buy the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And that too, that too. It, it, everything is very kind of just transparent, calculated. Yeah. Calculated. Yeah. It's no, like we would see later, like Looney Tunes back in action. It was many years before I saw that movie, even yeah. like after Space Jam, and 
I was like, oh, this is what's fun about the Looney Tunes. It's not like shoehorning Michael Jordan into a movie with these cartoon <laughs> characters. Yeah. And I, I say this because I've had the opportunity to watch, rewatch Space Jam a few times in my adulthood, like even before we started doing this podcast. And like, I would always be really excited before. It's like, oh, this is going to be fun. And be like, that wasn't as fun as I wanted it to be. Yeah. It's more fun in concept. Right. Like your memories of it are better. Yeah. 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 And like the iconography of yeah. it, which again, it's kind of what it's designed for. Yeah. It's kind of like sticking in your, to, to this day, I'm right. sure like, you know, you can go get yourself a Toon Squad jersey for like an obscene amount of money. Yeah. So <laughs> and I, it's still, it I still can, works. <laughs> yeah. I can appreciate it for that. Like that's why it wouldn't have made this list for me is, is because like if a thing does that in a, like if it does that, if it has that kind of significance in my memory, then it's done its job. Yeah. Like I don't, it doesn't matter that yeah. it doesn't hold up. And I, and I feel though, a lot of that heavy lifting is based on basically like 20 minutes of the movie, which is mm-hmm. the game at the end. Like everything else is just who cares. Yeah. Not similar to a movie. I almost put on this list, uh, which is Airbud, which oh, is yeah. like a surprise <laughs> to like, Oh, everyone remembers like the game where the dog plays basketball, <laughs> but that's such a tiny sliver yeah, of yeah, this yeah. movie. <laughs> so what's um, your next one? Well, I was going to say, based on, it's not one of my picks, but I was going to put Pirates of Dark Water for similar reasons, mm. like where the, Lunga, the, Cam. the concept is so cool, and I love just the world that it, it exists in, yeah. kind of like Space Jam, like the world of like these aliens that steal basketball players' powers, and like <laughs> Looney Tunes are involved. It's such it's, a world. It's so <laughs> weird and interesting, and I love the Pirates of Dark Water world, but the show itself like didn't quite hold up for me. But I think there's so much potential mm-hmm. in both of these ideas. Yeah. Um, okay. But my next one, uh, it's more just personal for me. Everyone, I feel like everyone else knew it was terrible. Um, but Jurassic Park 3, <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it when I first saw it. Um, and I was like, I was hoping that it would, I'd be like, at least maybe find some things to defend like I used to. <laughs> but it really is just like a bad TV version of Jurassic Park. Um, and you can really feel the sp- the franchise spinning its wheels, you know. Yeah, that's another one where I was like, I don't need this one. <laughs> I can just leave it alone. I can see that as you know, my thoughts on just Jurassic Park sequels in general are well documented. Yeah, I don't think any of them need to exist, quite honestly, mm-hmm. up to and including the Fallen Kingdom. So, <laughs> yeah. I already thought Space Jam was going to be a spicy enough take because I'd also considered putting The Lost World mm. on, because I, but I actually do think that is ultimately worth watching just in terms of studying the filmography of Steven Spielberg and like understanding like that's his low point, his worst movie by far. What? Yeah. I don't think that. I don't <laughs> think that's true. Oh, baby. I'd rather watch that than Tintin. What? Tintin's a good movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I would think like more stiffer competition is from like, the terminal or always but you know those aren't great movies either i haven't seen always but but like it's so i mean i i think i even read the quote on the episode from spielberg how he's saying like i had no i like i had no part of me no part of my heart was ever ever in this movie Uh, (laughs) this is completely for the money and it made me feel bad like (laughs) the lost world literally made steven spielberg sad like that (laughs) is enough to qualify as his worst movie look what you did yeah (laughs) okay oh man but my actual second pick is the blair witch project oh Really? Which, okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, I hadn't, I don't think I'd seen it in its entirety until we did that episode. And I was glad that I, had it. Yeah. I was just so like, it was kind of exactly what I expected it to be just mm-hmm. dull and boring mm. and full of, 
like jump scares yeah. and fake outs and all the lame crap that made it a bad influence on the next 20 years of horror movies. <laughs> and I, I shouldn't, I'm not painting, I don't want to paint the whole genre with a broad brush. I was never that into horror as a kid, which is why I didn't see the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. But, um, I've since come around on a lot of it and I like things that are more atmospheric or yeah. psychological or even like silly and funny. Like, I think that's what hurts me the most. Like if horror movies, had been more like your Nightmare on Elm Streets mm. or your even the Scream franchise, oh, yes. like into the late <laughs> 90s and early 2000s. I think that would have given me something to hang on to. Yeah. But once that Blair Witch Project was so successful, it just so many copycats and, yeah. and kind of set the tone. Found footage. Not just the found footage, but just like like I said, like the fake outs and like the, the idea of being startled instead of being scared. And that to me is like mm. the most annoying thing about modern horror genre mm-hmm. in terms of like you know the big budget thing yeah. well comparatively big budget like the things that get promoted yeah there will always be people who want that and i i understand that but i still think the blair witch project is 20 years later just a whole lot of nothing mm-hmm. it really sucks <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i get that i don't know if i felt that this time I, I feel like i feel like maybe i i liked it a tiny bit more than i did when i first watched it but it's still not like significant enough to for for me to be like oh i love this movie you know and i think the coup de gras is that i could not find that on any streaming service or any rental at the time for whatever <laughs> reason so i had to buy i own the blair witch project <laughs> on digital and that's begrudgingly <laughs> yeah it's like 12 dollars. i'll never get back damn that's expensive <laughs> yeah all right my third pick is a tv show we revisited mm. um that I just could not stand when we rewatched it. it was Beekman's World <laughs> for our? Uh, oh, I don't think I knew you felt this strongly. Bill Nye versus Beekman's World. Yeah, um, I had fun memories of it, you know. But as an adult, it's just fart noises and slide <laughs> whistles. Like it's <laughs> it's in your face. It's so obnoxious. <laughs> Bill Nye is so much better. Yeah, <laughs> and doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, and, you know, even Bill Nye has a few of those, like, you he know, does? goofy cues. And, but like, he backs yeah. it up. Exactly. Yeah. It's not <laughs> it's not the sole reason for its existence. Yeah. You know, as as much as I was crushing on Alana Ubach, the... <laughs> the uh, original assistant. The original or the, assistant. Yeah. Um, it just it, it didn't hold a candle to Bill Nye. And I I couldn't really stand it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I I can see where you're coming from there, for sure. <laughs> Like you said, very obnoxious mm-hmm. Beekman, <laughs> kind of like the poor man's version of Bill Nye. I think that again, I, I, there's a pattern here. Like that's a very cynical way of yeah. like trying to replicate that success. I don't mind the I don't mind the like set design, the visuals, the idea of like this weird eraserhead man, <laughs> <A> giant... <laughs> this weird Jack Nance, <laughs> yeah, a giant a rat sidekick, like. Um... It's all fun. It's all very like early nineties, you know, kind of ragtag and yeah. like, scrapped together. Uh it's just like the tone of it really was not doing much for me these days. No. <laughs> Definitely made for children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and my third pick, you might have been able to see this coming. My disdain is well documented. And it's Flintstones. Absolutely. <laughs> oh boy. So I think this is the epitome of like a soulish cash grab. Cash grab is a term that's thrown around a lot in today's movie culture. And I'm not always on, I'm rarely on board with it because what movie is not 
created to make money. Like, I don't understand that. Just the very concept of it, just a cash grab. But like, there, there's, there, there are cash grabs and there are cash grabs, right? So everything about the Flintstones looks right on the surface, but inside it is just like completely rotten. It's mercenary. (laughs) It's contrived. It's totally misguided. Like, does not understand even like the most basic appeal of what it's adapting. You know, this goofy adventures of Fred and Barney, <laughs> like funny domestic situations. It turns it into something way too modern and mm. something we did not need. <laughs> the Flintstones is awful. <laughs> and it wastes the talent of a lot of, you know, creative and, and yeah. wonderful There's people. There's a lot of good names in, yeah. that, in that production. And just think, like, just probably, it's it, and it's got to be hard. I do have sympathy for, like, you know, someone greenlights a Flintstones live action movie. It's like, okay, what the hell do we make it about? Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so they tried to go a sort of meta route, but it yeah. just did not suit that material at all. Yeah. And it does not look good in hindsight. <laughs> all the, all the weird sexist stuff and like, uh, and, and never, never will I forget that like, there's a line in this movie, John Goodman as Fred Flintstone bellowing, Oh no, Bond, we're going to get lynched. <laughs> that should never, uh, those words should not be uttered in any version <laughs> of the Flintstones. <laughs> Holy shit. What were they thinking? Uh, yikes. All right. That was our negative side, but what about the positive I'm, side? I'm surprised we didn't mention, well, I didn't include it because I hadn't seen it as a kid, but Wild Wild West. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Would have made my list had I seen it because yeah. I, that's the movie I just have not been into. <laughs> the 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 movie I've been into the least on this podcast. Yeah, this I felt Wild bad. West. I felt bad when we were making that. <laughs> that was back in the days when we used to watch right before recording. We yeah. watched the things yeah. together, and <laughs> I could tell you were definitely not into it. During the, and then, like, shit, we've got to like go from this to talking about it for an hour. But Barry Sonnenfeld, you are redeemed. Because you made Man in Black, and you might come up again. In a yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> diner, right? <laughs> um. Okay. So let's get to that. Let's get to the positive side. Yeah. Party on the positive side and pump positive vibes. So come along for the ride, as Marky Mark once said. <laughs> All right. So my first pick for what's still worth watching is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Ooh. And I think there could be a lot of movies that kind of like fit this description, but I think this is just my favorite one. Joe Johnston also redeemed. Yes. <laughs> um, we love you, Joe. We love you, Joe. I don't, I don't, I don't hold anything against you for making JP3. I don't think that's not his fault. <laughs> so Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is, you know, a popular blockbuster that kind of snuck up on people. And there's a lot of movies we've done in this mm-hmm. podcast that are like that, uh, that became, you know, classic. But I just love its keen understanding of like a suburban family dynamic, which again, a lot of movies from this era, they try to get, and most of the time it's pretty cliched. This one's actually pretty touching mm-hmm. and like full of things you don't see or like they don't quite go into that cliched direction. You have the nerd dad, but he's actually like still pretty involved in like caring about his family. Mm-hmm. Then you have like the jerk neighbor who like would in another movie be like the former quarterback bully type, but and this one, he's kind of like a goofy, weirdo sort of loser himself. Yeah. Just thinks highly of himself and is hard on his kids. And I love that these 
all these crazy fantastical elements are present in this movie, but it still stays grounded in that dynamic between these families and these characters and might be a theme running through this part of the segment for me, but like you don't even have to leave the backyard to have like a crazy effects driven adventure. Yeah. The practical stuff works so well. In yeah. It. That movie's so immersive. It's great. Yeah. I was, yeah, that's a good pick. Um, just, just one that like, I realized how great it truly was. Yeah. Like, oh, I love this movie. Why haven't I watched this more in my life? Yeah. Nice. Good pick. Thank you. Um, I'm going to go backwards in time. Like, I'll start with a more recent one that we did. My first pick is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, um, I'm so, I'm like <laughs> shaking. I'm so happy. Because <laughs> I, I didn't expect much because I was like, you know, I loved it as a kid, but then... Uh, in, as an adult, I'm like, I was hesitant to revisit it. I was like, really? Kevin Costner as mm-hmm. British folk hero, <laughs> Robin Hood. Then it begins. And <laughs> Christian Slater, like, what? <laughs> but, oh my God, Alan Rickman, you were a godsend. <laughs> this is like one of the best performances I've seen in any movie ever is just Alan Rickman off the leash <laughs> as the <laughs> sheriff Rickman of Nottingham. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. I love it. And it's such a fun movie. It's I, I just really had a lot of fun revisiting that and was not expecting to like it as much as I did. I thought I would uh, find more faults with it, but uh, it ended up being way more entertaining than... <laughs> Than I thought so. I was in the same boat. I was surprised by my enthusiasm for it. Yeah, <laughs> I maybe could have seen it coming because I think that kind of stuff is right up my alley now. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there probably was a time not too long ago when I would have rolled my eyes. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm glad. I'm glad we both have come around to a place where we're like, <laughs> loving it. Yeah. God, it's so exciting mm-hmm. that movie. Okay. Uh, my next one is is polar opposite, um, which is the Secret Garden. Oh, nice. Which is actually what I hadn't seen, Mm -hmm. but I just felt like I was introduced to this hidden gem. It is good. It's, it's good. Uh, it's a rarity also where it's like this artfully mysterious and atmospheric, atmospheric family movie. (laughs) It's supposed to be for kids, but it's just so, you know, it's got this European sensibility and it's so, uh, it's abstract at points. It's very, it's sensual more so than like Mm. you expect a movie like this to be yeah very literary and just i don't know easy for kids to connect with too that's such a hard thing to pull off yeah and i'm so glad that that you and our guest Lindsay mead introduced me to this film i hadn't seen it either she, oh she introduced that's both right of us. that's right yeah and it's just so emotional too like i was very touched by the ending of yeah. it yeah and every like ah, uh, it just builds crescendos to that wonderful moment at the end. Yeah, when uh, she's finally accepted, she's accepted into the family, where the dad kind of overcomes his grief. Yeah, oh, classic. I had a feeling you might you might pick that one. It's really worth watching by anyone, no matter how old you are. It's yeah. like it's such a good movie. Yeah. All right, my next pick, bringing back Barry Sonnenfeld, Adam's Family Values. Mm-hmm. I was just so impressed by the script. By the performances, We've got Raul, Raul Julia, Angelica Houston, Christina Ricci, Christopher Lloyd, and on and on. It's just every like everything is just banging on all cylinders. Um, <laughs> I remember making a very you know, my observation was that it, it was just like this 
profound metaphor for puberty. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like there's just a lot of layers to that movie that are really entertaining and funny and super clever. It is. I had not seen it till we did our show on it. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's just so fun. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> irreverent and um, confident, poised. Like I think, yes. which has a lot to do with it being like a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, to uh, they just jump in, yeah, yeah, and and also you know they know the approach worked. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. it was like a bigger gamble the first time. Yeah, and it's like a remake of the Adams Family. Like, what's yeah. that going to be like? And they can just run with it this time. Yeah. And they kind of knew who their breakout stars were. Yeah. You know, yeah, the running gags are so good. And yeah, and yeah like every, all the actors I mentioned just steal it. And That's I just it. love the juxtaposition of like this fish out of water family <laughs> against like the wasps of the world <laughs> yeah and another a very rare example of a fish out of water concept you know being able to carry another film yeah yeah we've talked about this yeah um several times yeah. is that like you know usually there's a fish out of water for one film and then you can't really do that again with the next one because everyone's acquainted with the world that they've they're now right you know a part of but yeah somehow it does it 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 puts them in in new situations that keeps it fresh yeah um and it's just so funny yeah. like such a good movie eat me <laughs> all right my third and final choice uh to keep the christina ricci train rolling mm. is casper really mm-hmm. um i remember feeling this way way back when we recorded i think it's like it's one of our earlier ones. Yeah. And it's also a movie that we owned, my family owned. So I had seen it a bunch of times, mm-hmm. so it really shouldn't have been surprising to me. But time makes all the difference. I just have a, a new perspective on it, realizing it's very poignant and sophisticated in the way that it grapples with death and the grieving process. Mm. Like, I'm still so affected by kind of the the whole third act of that movie when bill pullman's character dies and is brought back to life you know in casper's place but also the fact that like casper reveals that like the treasure that the villain is trying to get to is just like an artifact from his childhood Mm -hmm. and a memory that he had with his father growing up you know Mm -hmm. it's it's so it's so moving and it's (laughs) it has no right to be based on an archie comic you know (laughs) (laughs) and once again a great uh, visual presentation, the blending of the computer effects, which for the, you know, actually hold up pretty good. Mm-hmm. I guess it's, you know, more translucent stuff. It's supposed to be kind of ephemeral, yeah. but the blending of that with the practical effects, like it's so funny to me to still to watch the ghosts, like pigging out on that table full of food, and just like falling down through their bodies, that real food that's just like splatting on the floor yeah. beneath them. <laughs> uh, man, Casper is, is such a wonderful movie and it deserves to be remembered, you know, more fondly than it, I think it is. I, I think people don't think about it a whole lot. I feel like I, I even didn't like, yeah. I, I was kind of like skimming through our list of, of things to consider for these, um, categories. And I couldn't remember our takes on, on Casper. Like it didn't, it, I didn't know it meant so much. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I think, and it's just a movie about weirdos too, which is always yeah. something I will stand up for mm-hmm. <laughs> then and now. Yeah. Uh, another, cause another thing I considered 
was Harriet the Spy, I think. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Not the same subject matter, but like kind of the same kind of vibe. Yeah. Where it's like, here's a different spin and like a, like a surprisingly, a, you know, mature yeah. look. Yeah. I would have, I would, I wanted to include that, but I disqualified it because I hadn't seen it as a kid. I do no such thing. <laughs> I, I put no such limits on myself, but uh-huh. I totally understand that, that, you know, you're a man with a code. So <laughs> I respect that. But I'm breaking my code for my final pick. Well, I take it all back. <laughs> because um, this is something I know I've loved since I've been a kid. And I've, you know, watched it here and there in the interim. But it really is. And I think it was it was such an early movie for us to tackle that I don't know if I could have articulated its brilliance back then. Because I feel like we've we've really come into our own in this podcast over these five years, become more articulate in our ways of, you know, uh, boiling these films and TV shows down yes. to their essence. Um, and I don't know if I gave a goofy movie its due <laughs> when we saw it back then, but it is absolutely my number two movie it, after the Lion King, uh, Disney movie. And I think it's the perfect type of movie to do on this podcast because it means one thing when you're a kid, and it just means something totally different when you're an adult. Um, and it's just embodied perfectly by this father-son storyline where, you know, when I was a kid, I related to Max, you know. It's like, come on, Dad, why can't we go to the concert? Like, it's you, you completely relate to that side of it. Um, but then when you're an adult, you're like, come on, Max, why don't you just go fishing with your dad? Like, <laughs> it's, And I just love the, like, staying power of, of that it's just this cross generational it's such a moving story about um it it's definitely um a film that like you said grants a different perspective like depending on when you're watching it yeah um but it's so sneaky in the way that it does it mm-hmm. it's i think that's a feature of a lot of these movies that we're talking about mm-hmm. that are worth watching that you know you don't expect to be uh assaulted with the types of emotions yeah <laughs> But there's just something about that movie. It's so like colorful and wacky, and there's yeah. so much variety in it that there's so many different ways it communicates that message. Yeah, and so many ways that that it shows these people bonding. Yeah, like it's not all about them bickering and arguing. It's not just like a one straight line. It's kind of like this ragged, you know. You're always like one. It's always a moving target of like how close they are at any given moment. Yeah, and yeah, so it's like a perfect you know, perfect thing to watch at different points in your life. Yeah. I'm just echoing what you said because I really think you said it very well. Thank you. But, but thank you for bringing it home. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's, I have such love for that movie and it wasn't a surprise. Um, but I feel like it's just, it's kind of like the, the essence of this podcast is, is a movie like that where you can, it can mean one thing when you're a kid and it can mean something totally different as an adult. Yeah. And that's why, we, that's why we do this is, is for these layers of, of meaning across time. And you know what? It still gets people hype. People love that power line song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it stood the test of time. <laughs> I also realized that both the picks I ended with for both best, you know, wasn't worth watching. What's still worth watching are both, Steven Spielberg produced movies, so there's <laughs> a lot of he looms large in this yeah. era. Yeah. And it wasn't all good, but some of it was great. Produced JP three as well. That's right. <laughs>
Well, we produced episodes on all the films we just talked about. So, uh, you can go ahead and listen to these podcasts and hear our thoughts, our full unvarnished thoughts. Some of them will be on Bandcamp. Yeah. A lot of them are going to be on Bandcamp or web or our website, what were we watching.com because these are back in the vault. 150 episodes is a lot, folks. So Mm -hmm. if you're a completist, you got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Uh, but we appreciate you coming along on the ride with us, and we hope you enjoyed it so far. We've got a lot of good things to look forward to as well. It's not going to stop here, but it's good to take a moment, take a breather, kind of look back at where we've been before yeah. we forge ahead into the future. You can do that with us on social media. Uh, what were we watching on Facebook and Instagram and W4 Podcast on Twitter? I mentioned earlier also our email address, what were we watching at gmail.com. So go ahead and drop us a line. We'll read it in a future episode. And we always appreciate hearing your thoughts, your opinions, when you can check us and correct us or just, you know, add to the chorus, give us a different take on things. That's what it's all about. This special segment to the contrary. We're not here to cast judgments for the most part. We try to avoid <laughs> that and just celebrate the nostalgia. All right. Is that good, Cam? Is there anything else you wanted to tell the people before we sign off? Thank you for listening. Couldn't have said it better myself. We appreciate your listenership, and uh, we hope you continue to listen. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what the hell, Cam? What is that crap? Um, No, it's wonderful. So thanks again, folks, all you listeners out there, uh, long-time listeners, new listeners, soon-to-be listeners. We appreciate you all. We hope you've had a blast listening to this very special 150th slash 5th anniversary episode. And we'll see you very soon for the next 150. So for Cam Seamer, I'm Eric Ambler. Thanks for listening to What Were We Watching? And until next time, now get out. Mm, Yeah, but we're still hungry. Ouch!